1: I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady, this week they got Brady. We're doing it, we're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving <laughs> forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right, so, we're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? illegal on this?
0: I yeah, like football, like football season, all the things that go with it.
1: Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live on YouTube, talking all things week 13 in the NFL, Sam. Yeah, the uh, season's getting through. It is. Almost done. It's also, it's a weird week in the NFL because what they used to do was post Thanksgiving, the buys were done. They uh-huh. just said, no more buys, that's it. From here on out, everybody's playing. But they've changed it up. And I, I believe this is actually no. There's two more weeks of buys, but there's six teams on buy this this week, which means quick, crisp show today, <laughs> right? We have yeah, fewer games to talk about, but uh, there's six buys this week. There's two more next week, and then we got to really work hard for the last four weeks of the season.
0: Yeah. Somebody, the the Spotify what the Wrapped thing came out yesterday, so people were messaging in, you know, their minutes what listened to and all that kind of thing, and it had me wondering how many minutes did we create. Because that wasn't an element anywhere. It was yeah. just like, and some people listen to like clearly more minutes than we created, right? uh Apparently, we created fifteen thousand and something minutes. There was somebody with <coughs> sixteen thousand minutes listened to. Somebody had forty something thousand. It was a forty? Yes. Wow. And so I was like, I don't understand how that works. And in the Discord, somebody was saying that they use us as like uh, white noise when they go to sleep. <laughs> What? They're like, if they're struggling you know, to get to sleep, they find an old preview show, you know, two and a half hours worth, That's just where, hit
1: play. I was always wondering that because uh, when you look at the numbers, you know, most people look at podcast numbers in the first 48 hours or a week or whatever, and we'll see preview shows add thousands of downloads a year later. Months later.
0: Yeah. Eli just posted in the chat somebody with 56,197 minutes. Wow. And that only puts them in the top 0.005% of our fans. Wow, which means there are higher numbers than that out there.
1: I think, uh, I think everybody should use this as white noise because it'll be good for the numbers and it'll be good for your Spotify wrapped next year. Right.
0: And so. your uh, yeah, a lot of numbers. You know, the average time listened will be through the roof. This, yeah, perfect. Everyone uses this as uh, white noise music, white noise music. Sleep
1: aid. We are, we're also getting this question again. YouTube chat. Are they? You know, do we like each other? You no, know, God, people. no, no. Just strictly, <laughs> strictly strictly <business>. on air <laughs> business partners. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Don't talk outside of uh, outside of the office. We're just gonna let's we'll just get through the show. It's All right, it's just painful. Get, yeah, yeah that's, it up. Right.
0: Imagine God.
1: I think you and I like. I see people split. You know, Mike and Mike split up a couple years ago. Damn, right. And we can have like a big bad split at some point. Right, it depends if the money is right, <laughs> basically, for either one of us. the right offer comes along, imagine see you how, later.
0: Imagine how painful like a two and a half hour show would be if you absolutely hated the other guy. Yeah, that'd be rough. Yeah, like, I mean, you think you'd, if you if if that was your thing, right? I hate the guy across the desk from me will be like 30 minutes, and I'm done. I'm yeah. out. I can't handle I mean, any more than that.
1: I mean, if you had to do shows with other people at PFF, I imagine that would be difficult, but I mean, not me. Depends on the, the people. All right, let's get into the football action. Thursday Night Football, Seattle Seahawks at the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys favored by 9.5. Um, Seattle, we've talked about a little bit on the show about how they're in the middle of this stretch where they're going to be touchdown plus underdogs. Last week was the first game of that stretch. They lost 31-13. to 13 to the 49ers they're at Dallas tonight they've got uh, San Francisco again next week and then the Eagles so the six and five Seattle Seahawks uh, their season on the brink here of uh, of falling apart in a you know challenging little run and then Dallas as hot as any team right now and Dak Prescott in particular as hot as any quarterback he is in the middle of a stretch that is really is maybe as good as we've ever seen in the pff era the last five or six games um, currently the highest graded quarterback by our numbers and you know just since they're by and since getting waxed by san francisco he's been unbelievable
0: the latest mvp favorite in a season where that seems
1: to change every single week. Jack's not the favorite i think he is now right oh no i think he's only up to fourth or something it's a weird it's a weird mvp case again because he hasn't he's they've beat up on bad teams yeah and usually that doesn't that doesn't bode well I mean you still earn it by by what you do on the field but um Dak having a 92 grade right now there's there's too oh, that's much. right
0: Jalen Hurts became favored Hurts became after the favorite. winning a game whereas yeah. Dak Prescott is third yeah uh, after just dominating a game. but
1: if they beat the Eagles at home which I I think they could do I mean, then they, then they that'll could. flip potentially right um, and then Mahomes also, the Chiefs don't play a good team for the rest of the year, basically, other than maybe the Bills. So they'll probably just end up 14-3, and three and Mahomes could end up with it again. Um, but Dak Prescott, uh, two ways to look at this. Remember, we said Jared Goff was our highest-graded quarterback a, a couple weeks ago, and on one hand, you give him credit for playing well. On the other hand, it's like, hey, he's never really played at this level, so maybe there's some regression. Would you ever look at Dak through that same lens and say, hey – Credit for where you are, but you've never been a 92-graded quarterback. That should come back down to earth a little bit.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's playing at the kind of level that right now I think is probably unsustainable. I mean, he's got 90-plus grades in, what, one, two, three, four, five of his last seven games. And and Um, by
1: the way, just from a game-grade perspective, that is very difficult to do. Right? There's a difference in a 90-season grade, which might be a whole lot of good that adds up to very good. But 90-game grades are elite, and— That is very tough to do as often as he has.
0: Geno Smith's, like, amazing year last year was built largely off the back of, like, two 90 grades, right? Like, they, they are extremely difficult to do. So having five of them in an entire season is pretty impressive. Having five of them in seven games is unrealistic as a baseline, and there's no way he sustains that, even if he continues to play teams that they are way better than, which is sort of how the entire Dallas team seems to be built right now, which is just beating up on teams that they are significantly better than i think fundamentally like the seahawks game becomes really interesting because they are they're in the middle right they're not the eagles or the 49ers which are the teams that dallas seems to struggle against those really elite teams and they're not the teams that they tend to beat up on they are somewhere in the middle so it's almost a perfect opportunity for dallas to like actually level set and say right what happens when you face a team that isn't elite or a team that you should be beating up on that's actually just somewhere in the middle. A pretty good team, albeit coming off uh, not necessarily their best performance. Like, what does this do to
1: Dallas? Yeah, I think Seattle's in a... I think tactically tonight for Seattle, most you know most of the times we don't talk about, hey, lean on the run game. This might have to be the way Seattle does this. Um, Ken Walker's still hurt, but Zach Charbonnet and it looks like Abe Lucas is coming back on the offensive line. Is this actually one of those games where Seattle's got to play old-school Pete Carroll football? And if there is a weakness on the Cowboys' defense, it's been, the, it's been their run defense for multiple years now. It's certainly uh, not as good as their ability to rush the passer and their ability to have pick sixes because Deron Bland is a legend. So it is. I think it's one of those games where Seattle's got to shorten it up run the ball a little bit, and um, see if they can pull that off. Because Dallas just has this ability, once, once they know you have to pass, right, even the Thanksgiving game, was close. But it's like, all right, got to pick six. We're going we're gonna to lean on you. Um, Seattle's just got to kind of give themselves an opportunity to win in the fourth, which is very old-school Pete Carroll football.
0: Yeah, they're in a difficult – it's difficult for Seattle to sort of effectively game plan, I think, on offense because – you look at like their strengths and Geno Smith is an incredible deep ball thrower, DK Metcalf, uh, Tyler Lockett, JSN, like they're built essentially to pass the ball, but the weakness is the offensive line. And particularly when you're going up against Dallas, like the Cowboys still have the best pass rush in the NFL. So like your biggest punch is built off going up against their biggest punch and their biggest punch is probably better and has the capacity to sort of kill yours at source. Uh, whereas, like, the alternative, as you're saying, is instead you sort of lean into the run game and try and do it that way, and it's just—it's less likely to sort of knock them over,
1: you know? I showed a similar stat a couple weeks ago, but along those lines, when you, when you have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and you want to throw it to them, well, Dallas's corners, their outside corners, you know, Bland and Gilmore for the most part this year, when they've been targeted outside corners for Dallas— minus 0.3 EPA per play. Uh, we talked about a couple of days ago, the Patriots' pass offense the last two weeks is minus 0.4 EPA per play, right? So very similar range, and it's been a horrendous passing offense for New England the last couple of weeks. So that's how good Dallas's outside corners have been when targeted this entire season. Of course that's skewed by all the pick sixes that's going to crush your EPA per play. It's just a perspective thing. No other team in the league is even close to negative EPA per play when targeting their outside corners it's another one of those stats that seems completely unsustainable but it's one of the stories of Dallas's season in that the third straight year Dan Quinn and that defense has been unreal at creating creating turnovers we know Geno Smith has had some uh, turnover worthy play issues the last couple years so I think everything I mean that's why Dallas is favored by nine and a half and um yeah I think they're Seattle's only chance is obviously mistake you know mistake free football take care of the ball don't turn it over but I really think their run game is going to be needed to protect they, because their their offensive line should not be able to handle Dallas and I think they need to shorten it up and run it a little bit.
0: Yeah I mean I, I think that's definitely possible. Um, one more piece of information for you uh, Seattle is wearing their throwback
1: uniforms ah, on the road hmm. so this is Oh, so it'll be there, because Dallas will wear white, of course.
0: So it's a lot of good juju colliding. Like Ricky Waters, Seattle Seahawks. Right, Ricky Waters, Seattle Seahawks going
1: up against Dallas at home where they dominate everybody. Yeah, it's a tough one. Dallas Mm. averaging over 40 points a game (laughs) at home. They've overtaken Miami as the highest scoring home.
0: The other element, actually, so I think you're probably right, and that's what Seattle will try and do. Having said that, if Dallas does get up and – in the scenario where they've been just putting the the pedal to the metal and uh, running away from teams, once they get a lead and they can tee off and, you know, they, they really sort of pour gas on the fire. Like Seattle's actually an unusual team in terms of potentially being able to claw that back because, like, if they're forced into that scenario, you might get a couple of deep balls or, you know, big plays to DK Metcalf or whatever. Does that actually claw back the deficit a bit?
1: Uh, yeah, I think potentially. I think – um I mean, I think there's two ways of looking at it. you're either going to try to shorten the game and play conservative or you're just going to go all out and say Geno can make big time throws and our receivers can make big time plays and we've got three of them now, and we're just going we're going to try to keep up with this Dallas offense so I think it's going I think it's going to be a good game I think it's going to be close. I think Seattle can also keep it within the nine and a half even though um, a lot of signs point to Dallas being the better team mm. I'll give you one more thing to look at here for prize picks our prize picks lineup for Thursday Night Football Um, we've got Jackson Smith and Jacob going less than 40 and a half receiving yards we have Tony Pollard going more than 61 and a half rushing yards and we have C.D. Lamb going more than six and a half receptions so that's our prize picks lineup we show this um, showed this yesterday if you guys want to play along with us over at prize picks you can do that Um, So again, Jackson Smith and Jigba, less than 40 and a half receiving. Pollard, more than 61 and a half rushing. And C.D. Lamb, more than six and a half receptions. That's our prize picks lineup. You can do the same with basketball season here. You can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a a 10.5 combo of three-pointers made in receptions. You play alongside some of PrizePix's favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz. You can find the community plays under the Promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the PrizePix community every single week. And PrizePix even offers a reboot policy so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. So for football and basketball games, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half, doesn't return in the second, that player is rebooted. PrizePix is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. So... Go to prizepicks.com slash PFFNFL. Use code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, that's prizepicks.com slash PFFNFL. Use code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. All right, Dallas by 9.5. Sam, it's your time. turn to pick. Uh, I'm going to Dallas. I'm buying into the, the home, the fact that they annihilate
0: teams, uh, that they're better than. I think they're better than Seattle. And therefore, I think that eventually they'll run away with it in the fourth quarter.
1: Okay, I'm going to say Seattle keeps it close. I like Dallas to win, um, but I'll say they keep it within the nine and a half. By the way, update from last week. You had nine wins last week, including choosing Linfield over North Reading. So eight NFL wins you had. Eight and eight last week. I was uh, also eight and eight in the NFL. I didn't get the, um, the Linfield game. No, And then Harry was 12 and four in his NFL picks last week. How badly. And he also got Linfield, so we had 13 total wins.
0: How badly is your child annihilating us this year? I still have to add that up it's
1: but pretty that was a bad though, it was a good week it right? good week for Harry yeah last week. I mean I
0: think he was already ahead and he just pulled out four or five extra
1: games on us. yeah, I'm gonna have to call him. he's out in uh like skiing or whatever he's doing out in Colorado before they go to Disneyland mm. or in Utah, so I'm gonna have to go get his picks right um over the phone here and then uh, now that you don't
0: have now that you've got plenty of free time, you can actually add up his i'll have time to add it up
1: i'll have some updates next week i'll take seattle to keep it within the nine and a half okay all right discord game of the week which is the game of the week Mm. san francisco 49ers at the philadelphia eagles is that right niners are favored yeah they're favored by two and a half at philly yep really yep niners are favored by two and a half at the philadelphia eagles eagles um atop everybody's power rankings because they only have one loss Mm mm-hmm Going up against the Niners, who had that three-game losing streak, but have looked dominant over these last few weeks. I like that. I think we're getting both teams at the peak of their powers, right? I mean, we're the, the Eagles are in the middle of this very difficult stretch of games, of which they've won all of them, right? They've just beaten Dallas, Kansas City, and Buffalo, and they still have San Francisco here to go. Um, and then seattle or is there another oh no then dallas again and then seattle so they're in the middle of this stretch but the niners have just uh dominated these last couple weeks against good teams against the jaguars against the seahawks uh what are you looking for in this one
0: yeah the niners i think have replaced cincinnati as the team where i think that their their best is better than anybody else's best right like i think for a while that looked like the bengals when they like for literally a very short while when they came back and you got like two games of joe burrow playing like joe burrow before he got hurt again and it's like when they go up against good teams they they generally beat them uh and they beat this 49ers team but since that point once the 49ers have gotten all their stars healthy once trent williams is back in the lineup when debo is back in the lineup when McCaffrey's there, when Ayuk is there, you know, the guy you talked about taking the step from good to great, with Brock Purdy playing better than he's played before and actually adding big plays to the offense that itself is a cheat code, I don't think anyone can hang with the 49ers if they play their best football. Um, So they replaced uh, the, the Bengals as that team for me. And then Philadelphia is interesting because they're on this run where they keep winning these games, but we're now what 11 games into the season where it's never we haven't hit full throttle yet for the eagles and i don't know if we're ever going to hit full throttle for the eagles or if this eagles team is just going to be slightly worse than last year even if the record says they're better or the record ends up the same or whatever but there's this lingering feeling that they're not where they were right it's not quite where it was and yet maybe the rest of the nfl isn't either so they keep winning. But I, I think that's why the 49ers are favorite. Like, they're the team that looks like they're at the level that Philadelphia or Kansas City or even the 49ers were last year before injuries. And the Eagles, the record may be there, but they don't seem like they're playing at that level.
1: Let me let me try to back you up a little bit here because we're friends. Okay. I'm going to back up your point oh, and I try see. to help you out. And <clears> that victory. kind of backing up. Well, I'm on, I'm on premium stats, 2.0, yeah. all part of your PFF Plus package. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I was looking at the Niners page and I'm looking at the Eagles page. So the, I'm going to look at overall team grade, and I'll admit our overall team grades for the season are not – they're not like the best proxy for a team. I would look at EPA-type stuff and other advanced metrics. These are just kind of like rolled-up player grades. Um, but if just at a glance, when you're looking at the Niners team page, as a team, their overall grade for games, they have a 92.5 grade against Dallas when they just dominated them, right? A 92 grade against – Jacksonville when they dominated them. Bucks 86. Seahawks last week, 87.5. There's an 87.9 against the Giants. Those are all high 80s, low 90s grades. That shows dominance as a team. So when you go to the Eagles page, Sam, nothing is dominant. It's actually funny. It's just, it just paints an interesting picture that's describing what you're saying. It's like the Eagles are absolutely doing just enough to win every single week and in tough games. As I mentioned, Dallas by five, Chiefs by four, Bills by three in overtime. But their game grades, they've never had a game grade over 81. Um, that was way back in week two against the Vikings. Their last few weeks, 77, 70, 73, 73, 75. It's like unbelievably consistent. Um, so again, that just kind of like popped off the page at me as I was, as I was looking at it uh, because I think it backs up what we're seeing. You know, the Eagles are they are finding ways to win. Jalen Hurts is on this incredible run, and the Eagles in, on this incredible run when they're down 10, it doesn't matter. And I think that's I think that's the Eagles' superpower, Sam, is they can play the situation. They, they situational football. They can they can play from behind if they need to. They can play with a the lead. They can uh, scheme it up defensively to shut down offenses like the Chiefs or the Dolphins. Uh, they can they can win in all these different ways, but they're certainly but they're not on a play for play basis as dominant as they were last year, for whatever reason. Is it because of a more difficult schedule? What, whatever it might be, they hit these weird lulls I think on offense, where they just have some nothing plays or nothing drives. But they're certainly capable at any given time with AJ Brown, Devonte Smith, Jalen Hurts still playing very well. Their run game getting Deva- De- DeAndre Swift getting on the edge. With his speed the last few weeks has been a huge catalyst for them getting back on track. So I'm not trying to disparage the Eagles. I'm just trying to to describe, I think, their level of play. So they're going up against, like you said, a team that dominates games in the Niners.
0: I think a huge part of this is, I mean, part of it, I think, is uh, Jalen Hurts' injury. You know, he's dealing with a knee injury. He's not 100%. I'm sure that's affecting his play at times if not all the time and and that's part of why they're not quite firing on all cylinders I think part of it is also this general league-wide trend of defenses winning right for the first time in years defense is actually having more success against offenses generally now the Eagles counter that to a degree by the push play being unstoppable right so even when defenses are winning they still have this extra cheat code of being able to extend drives anytime they get to you know, third or fourth and short and and keep things going. So it's sort of this weird dynamic that not a lot of other teams can bring to the table. Um, But I think that's probably part of why this doesn't look quite as good as it did a year ago. By contrast, the 49ers are one of two or three teams in the NFL that simply aren't really being affected by this league-wide trend of defense winning. Like, they are still, Brock Purdy is averaging 9.4 yards per attempt. Like, that's the one offense where defense is not winning. Defense may be fighting back, but the 49ers don't care. They're still ahead. So I think, honestly, what we might be seeing is the Eagles are simply in the same bucket as everybody else, which is a percentage has been taken off the top of this offense, and the 49ers aren't.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's what makes it such a great matchup. Of course, it's a rematch of the nfc championship last year which was uh, not a good football game sam no Brock purdy hurt almost immediately johnson quarterbacks
0: are quite important what is turns out quarterbacks are quite
1: important so i can't remember i I honestly i tuned out in the second half christian mccaffrey was just taking like direct snaps or something yeah
0: i mean he was basically playing quarterback ish it was horrendous he Um, I mean they answered they literally did they did the thing they answered the question that I'm always asking like what happens if the emergency QB comes in turns out it's a disaster it's terrible even when the emergency QB is a guy as versatile as Christian McCaffrey it's still non-functional in any way shape or form it's the it's worse than the Kendall Hinton offense which is you know a guy that theoretically could play quarterback and no it's it's just not doesn't work
1: yeah so it was it was ugly last year I think um Playing in Philly is a is a huge factor here. If you look at Brock Purdy's splits or the the Niners' home road splits, those are those are a factor. You know, again, there's a lot of teams that are far better at home than they are on the road. Uh, Dallas being one of those statistically, but you know, San Francisco has elements of that as well. Um, but Niners being favored against an Eagle, so how much? How much do you think the emotional aspect of this for the Eagles playing these tough games? They went from um, beating dallas at the last second
0: can only go to the well so many times right? that's the
1: to monday night football uh, against the chiefs where they had to make a 10-point comeback to last sunday going to overtime against the bills another 10-point comeback um we mentioned the guy like jordan davis playing 64 snaps or whatever it was a career high by about 15 snaps how much can they handle this against a great team
0: meanwhile since going on that three-win or three-loss skid, the 49ers have won comfortably for three straight weeks and have emotional like baggage attached to this game of you know, they want revenge for the NFC Championship game. Now, Didn't
1: Debo Samuel, he called James Bradbury trash or something like that? Oh,
0: Debo has been sounding off, like, since that game that, you know, all about the the 49ers constantly. Uh, A.J. Brown, like, set Eagles Nation onto trolling Debo Samuel this week, like, said, go nuts, like, you have my blessing, go and antagonize him. So, yeah, it's a a charge game. One, so here's a data point that I think illustrates interestingly sort of where these two offenses are. Brock Purdy and Jalen Hurts have very, very close PFF grades now. Like, Purdy's actually risen to meet Jalen Hurts in terms of overall performance. 81.8 versus 83.0. Um, Passer rating under pressure is very, very similar as well. 82.7 versus 86.4. Essentially, when the play breaks down, they're doing very similar work, right? When it's, when it's ad-libbed, when it's on them as opposed to the offense, it's actually... Similar, big-time throw rate is basically identical. Purdy's is actually higher. Uh, where they massively diverge, though, passer rating when kept clean, when everything's good, when everything's in rhythm, you know, when it's just the offense. Brock Purdy's passer rating when kept clean is 127.3. I,
1: I was going to say like 140 or something, right. yeah.
0: Jalen Hurts is, is quote-unquote, just a 98.9, right? So there's like 30 points of passer rating is being added to this 49ers offense when things go well that aren't there for the Eagles and it's not there because the quarterback is playing worse because they're broadly speaking playing the same it's there because that 49ers offense whether it's the skill position players whether it's Shanahan whether it's the combination of all of them together it's just working at a level that the Eagles offense
1: isn't is this the game we talked yesterday we had a great Question about the team building strategy of the Niners, and basically they don't have a good pass blocking grade. Mm. I mean, they have a fifty one point eight pass blocking grade as a team for a very effective offense that you've just described. Um, and we said, yeah, it's the you know the scheme protects those offensive linemen; and they can overcome the pass blocking. Brock Purdy is actually excellent at handling uh, pressure and maneuvering the pocket, a step up from what Jimmy Garoppolo was. Or is this the game where the Eagles and their they're always a top-five pass-rushing team. They are, again, this year, 81 pass-rush grade as a team. Um, they're not as good as they were last year. But, again, Hassan Reddick going up against Colton McKivitts, uh Jalen Carter on the interior. We know that they have enough pass-rushers. Is this actually the game that exploits this weakness for the 49ers?
0: Um, Could be. Maybe. Having said that, the Eagles' pass-rush is not what it's been previous season. No, it's like, that's fifth another.
1: instead of, you know, first or second. Right, right. That's
0: another element that's down a little bit versus previous years. Now, Hassan Reddick specifically is an interesting um that matchup. You know, potential matchup winner. I wouldn't I mean Reddick should spend basically no time whatsoever over Trent Williams. Like this is another one of those matchups where I, I don't understand why you would put him there ever. Uh if he goes up against Colton McKibbits every single play, remember Reddick is the guy that hurt Brock Purdy last time. Now you know we can i, I don't sh- there's no point in spending any time into what that play call was what the blocking assignment was et cetera, et cetera. but like reddick versus the is a big matchup in philadelphia's favor that could scupper
1: that offense to a degree um, i've got one more matchup to watch then we'll make our picks yeah uh-huh. the eagles run defense number one run defense grade in the nfl they were outstanding last week remember on the review show I mentioned the Bills had one good drive basically running the football um, other than Josh Allen one good drive now that drive did coincide with Zach Cunningham being uh, injured and off the field he was not he was he's questionable with a hamstring injury uh, not expecting him to play necessarily but Jordan Davis was very good up front Jalen Carter was very good up front their run defense against the Niners who always can run the ball effectively enough, especially with McCaffrey. The Eagles have, I think they have a couple advantages on the defensive side of the ball. Run defense, the ability to rush the passer that can maybe give this Niners offense some problems here. So keep an eye on that matchup as well. All right, man. Niners favored by two and a half on the road here. Where are you going?
0: Uh, I'm, I'm buying San Francisco. I think really they are better.
1: They're better than the Eagles. Yeah, when ten ev- one.
0: when everybody's healthy, I think they're better. And everybody's healthy
1: right now. I think the I think the home field advantage is a is a factor. Can we get a weather update? Yeah, uh, weather update. Let's get let's check Philly weather.
0: 55 and overcast.
1: Ugh, it's not basically nothing. No. Every, it's always overcast. It's always sunny in Philly. I'm I'm taking the Eagles. I'm taking the Eagles as home underdogs. I think they can go back. I, I, think, I think the Eagles, I'm on record saying, I think Dallas will get them at home. I think the Eagles' next loss comes to the Cowboys next week. Not this week. Mm-hmm. Home underdog, I'm taking the Eagles. All right. Great game. That'll be fun. As a parent, you've had to learn so many new skills to provide for your family, how to do copious amounts of laundry, laundry, meal plan for even the pickiest eater, and now how to protect your family's financial future. Fabric by Gerber Life provides an easy one-stop shop for your family's financial needs, offering high-quality term life insurance policies, plus other financial solutions in one easy online hub. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable a term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has fe- flexible policies that fit your family and your budget, like a million dollars in coverage in less than a dollar a day, for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com pffnfl. That's mefabric.com slash pffnfl. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash pffnfl. Policy is issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company. Not available in certain states. Prices sub- subject-, subject to underwriting and health questions. Reading is a challenge mm. for mm-hmm. me today. All right, not too many games to get through here, Sam. We'll do it. We'll do a great job. Uh, to the one o'clock. Detroit Lions at the New Orleans Saints. Lions coming off their uh, difficult loss on Thanksgiving because that's what they've been doing in recent years and uh, the Saints also coming off of some of their own disappointments Lions still eight and three in charge in the NFC North the Saints at five and six uh, technically behind the Falcons in the NFC South but they're both uh, they both have the same record five and six Saints are the only team in the NFC South with a positive point differential at plus seven hmm what do you, uh, what's the uh, line here? Sorry, I clicked off of it. Saints the, plus four. Yeah, Lions are uh, favored by four here in the dome. What are you looking for here?
0: Yeah, it, it's another, the Lions have had these weird games now where, you know, generally speaking this season, everything's going well, right? They're eight and three. They have the division in hand. They, you know, they're probably not in contention for that number one seed because of where Philadelphia is, but like they're in great, they're in a great spot and in great shape. But their losses have been concerning, each one of them. And they've been sort of spread out, right? Like they, they lose early in the season to Seattle. And then everything either side of that is good, right? They obviously get the opening night win against Kansas City, albeit a depleted Kansas City team, but then handily beat Atlanta, handle Green Bay, obviously beat Carolina, you know, Tampa Bay, and then boom, a loss where they get annihilated on both sides of the ball by Baltimore. You're like, ooh, that was weird. And then you get a win against the, the Raiders, a win against the Chargers, a win against the Bears, and then this ridiculous like, loss against Green Bay on Thanksgiving where, again, nothing was working for the, for the Lions on either side of the ball, completely out of character. And unlike Baltimore, they're not a team that should be doing that to you. Like the Ravens, you can go, okay, maybe they're the best team in the AFC and therefore the NFL. We can kind of chalk that up to just a really good team showing up at the right time. Green Bay is not that. Like, that should that game on Thanksgiving should not have happened to the Lions. So do they bounce back again the way they bounced back the previous two times and they're going to go on a run again, beat the Saints, beat the Bears, beat the Broncos, beat the Vikings, you know, put themselves right at the top of the NFC? Or have these games that keep coming along every few weeks highlighted the, the sort of fragility of this Lions, you know, season this year?
1: Yeah, how do you – they're tough to predict. Um, they're easier to predict than the Saints, though. You know, the Saints have Sure. They have all the metrics. You know, like when I was when I was looking at the Cowboys and their outstand, like all of the outstanding metrics I was looking for for the Cowboys, like how good are their corners when you target them and all these great numbers, like the Saints are right behind the Cowboys. The Saints can play that shutdown level defense. And then when you look at the offensive personnel, all year I've been saying, Look at all these playmakers. Of course Derek Carr can get the ball to them. They're just one of the most horrendous red zone teams I've ever seen in my life. The Saints. I mean, that's really the difference between the 20s. They're good, and once they get to the 20, they're horrendous, and they find ways. And uh, I think last year was a similar issue with the Saints with Andy Dalton. It's been an issue with Derek Carr uh, across, you know, whether it's with the Raiders or with the Saints. But yeah, you're right. Like predicting the Lions kind of laying an egg every few weeks. It's difficult to do because just a few weeks ago, their game against—I don't want to say it was a perfect game. It was a perfect game offensively against the Chargers. They, they were rough defensively. I think what's catching up to the Lions, though, is their pass rush. Yeah. Being
0: the defense generally. I mean, they're, yeah. they're banged up in the secondary. They haven't found that extra complementary piece, pass rushing to Aiden Hutchinson. And, yes, that's the one trend now for a month-plus that's been consistent is the defense has not been riding at the same level it was earlier in the year they can be attacked
1: and I don't think that was a team building failure I think you know James Houston was remember he had that incredible run last year on about 100 snaps it was like okay this guy will be a great situational rusher he's only played 31 snaps this year he's been hurt yeah Charles Harris had a lot of injuries yeah Charles Harris was coming off a career year they had the Okwaras there they had solid options opposite Aiden Hutchinson but I do think if you're a Lions fan the only thing you're going to look at in hindsight is say okay at the trade deadline when the 49ers, when Chase Young is like the fifth best pass rusher on the 49ers and he'd right. be number two for the Lions, you're going to look back and say, should we have tried to add somebody? You know? So that is the thing. And even back, way back week one against Kansas City, Aiden Hutchinson had, had eight or nine pressures, but they couldn't sack Mahomes because most people can't anyway. But it was like, it was just one. There's a lot of plays where it's just one isolated pressure. And you can avoid one guy, yeah. and you need those plays where you're collapsing the pocket and pressing the quarterback. And the Lions just don't have that right now. Some games, but it, that I think that's what's catching up and you know starting to bite just a little bit on that side of the ball.
0: Yeah, losing. Um... Chauncey Gardner-Johnson was a big loss to that secondary. For sure. Like, they've had injuries in the secondary as well. I think just generally across the board, this defense is now becoming a concern for Detroit. It can be exploited. It can be attacked. It's not the strength it was earlier in the season. They were defending the run spectacularly well earlier in the year. That's not the case anymore. And they don't affect the pass well enough because they've lost players on both ends, you know, the pass rush up front and the, the back end, the secondary. So I think that's becoming a weakness and – if you like, if that's the case, you need the offense to sort of have its best games, right, and step up and pick up the slack from the fact that the defense is now a potential weakness or, or can be exploited. And in fact, the opposite is happening; like the offense is having these stuttering games uh, in, in critical moments sometimes.
1: Um, the one other thing I want to highlight here is uh, two or three weeks ago, I think just two weeks ago, Jared Goff was had the highest PFF yeah. grade. He is now down to number 12.
0: Back-to-bank his worst games of the, of the season.
1: Yeah, and again, I do, it's not. it's just um, I think it was the nature of the grading right now where there was a whole bunch of players. There's really a bunch of players clustered together in how well they're playing. Um, and while guys like Dak Prescott continue to play elite football and guys like Josh Allen are still playing solid and Lamar and Trevor Lawrence, Goff had those two bad games. Um, I
0: mean, he's dropped almost 10 grading points in two weeks. Yes. Because they he's were bad at, the back last to couple back, weeks. Yeah, six, he's bad, seven
1: turnover worthy plays, six turnover worthy plays over the last two yeah. weeks.
0: And and back to back games that were in and around fifty as a grade.
1: So half of Goff's turnover worthy plays have come over yeah, the, last the last two, two weeks. weeks. The question for me is, you know, I've said before, is this a slump? Is he not seeing it? It did look like two weeks ago against the Bears, he wasn't seeing it. Just wasn't seeing the field, putting the ball in harm's way in a different way than he than he had had been for the rest of the year. Green Bay kept putting the ball on the turf. Um, is this a sustained slump? Uh, some people were questioning if he had a little hand injury or, you know, maybe the little hands, they were struggling holding on to the ball. Um, so some question marks there as far as Goff in this offense. I still think they're very capable. And me trying to predict what the Saints are going to do went on paper. So many of the pieces are good. They just hit this, hit this lull in the red zone, man. So all that said... Where are you going? This one.
0: Um, hmm. They have bounced back very well, which from every one of these set banks, which is the only thing that makes me really buy into the idea of the Lions. That being said, I think the Saints can have joy against that defense. Man, I don't know. I'm torn on this
1: one. Let's go New Orleans. I'm I'm back and forth on it too. New Orleans as home underdogs. I just I don't. I don't want to bet on the Saints. Remember, every year we say this, right? This has been the Jags. Remember the Jags a couple years ago? I'm like, I just don't don't want to predict what you're going to do. The Saints are that team this year. I will never be surprised by what the Saints do, if they're disappointing or if they look like an elite team. I do think at the end of the day, they should still win the NFC South. With all their issues, they should still win the NFC South, for whatever that's worth. I'll take the Lions, though. As you mentioned, they are able to bounce back, and I think at the end of the day, the situational football will be in their favor over the Saints. Uh, Miami Dolphins at the Washington Commanders. Dolphins favored by 9.5 here at Washington. Jack Del Rio, defense coordinator, has been fired since Thanksgiving, so we might get the uh, D.C. bump here, new D.C. bump mm. for uh, for Washington. Yes, in D.C. Uh, Dolphins, they get to play a uh, – A road game against a a lesser opponent right a lot of their home road splits are uh, they did they beat the jets on the road last week but they get to go to washington as nine and a half point favorites here what are you looking for in this one
0: yeah i'm curious to see what that change in coaching does for the defense because for a couple of years now washington's defense has felt like it should be better and it's been underachieving and they've tended to come where they've had runs where they start slow and they get better or you know it changes over a period of time Like, I wonder now if we just remove the coach and start consistently getting the level of performance from some of these players that we um, should be getting or have come to expect whether this defense has the capacity to get significantly better. Now, this is a really rough test, like a baptism of fire to test that theory of, hey, it's great that you're moving in the right direction. Now go and stop the Miami offense. Good luck. Uh, That's tough, particularly when, you know, even if you just look on a season level. Like, two of their top three pass rushers no longer play on the team, right? The edge rushers have been shipped off. Yeah,
1: they traded Chase Young and Montez Sweat during the season.
0: Jonathan Allen is their primary source of pass rush as an interior player, and he's still playing really well, but not at that, like, you know, Aaron Donald level where he's single-handedly able to generate all the pressure the team needs. They don't really have the edge rushers yet. Uh, Deron Payne doesn't bring that kind of pass rushing presence. He's just not that type of player. So this front four that for years has been the strength of the team and should be one of the best in the NFL, it probably isn't anymore. Like they've shipped off half the players that that would be applicable to. Uh,
1: yeah. I mean, I think, I think Washington's just in, tra- in transition. And if you look at, you know, they're, they're tied with the Giants now record-wise at 4-8. and eight. Point differential is actually similar to the Giants. As, as icky as the Giants' season feels, um, Tommy's saved it. He's on bye. he's just resting this week. But minus one thirty three point differential for the Giants. The the Commanders are at minus one hundred four. You know, I mean, it's it's not been a good season, even though they you know played the Eagles tough uh, a couple times. And you know, we usually spend most of our Washington time talking about Sam Howell. He's um, he's remained inconsistent here. When it looked like he was maybe turning a corner, that regressed a little bit. It's a Fascinating season for uh, for Howell. He's he's dropped back almost a hundred times more than any other quarterback. I know yeah. they haven't had a bye. That's going to skew those numbers, but it's it's also been this extremely pass heavy attack. There's been a lot of pressure on him, both literally and figuratively. Um, so he's he's faced the fire this year, Howell. And uh, you know it's been a, a challenging year for a first year quarterback. So they're in transition, man. And I think for the Dolphins, it's one of those got to take care of business games because they're eight and three. They're still in the mix for um, they're a game and a half ahead of the bills in the division or two and a half games ahead of the bills in the division, looking for a number one seed, looking for, you know, seeding two or three seed above the Ravens, Jags and, and chiefs and the dolphins have to take care of business here.
0: Yeah. It's difficult to know what um, the Vic Fangio type of defense will do to Sam Howell. I, there's not a pattern in his performances in terms of scheme. Like he's not struggling against one specific scheme. He's struggled against the Bills who run a sort of um, coverage-based defense. He's also struggled against the Giants who are the second most blitz-happy team in the NFL. And against Dallas who just you know bring pressure everywhere. So I, I don't know that there's necessarily a trend as to whether he's gonna do well or badly against a, a Fangio type of defense. But because the Dolphins offense is likely to have a lot of success, it's gonna have to be a game where they turn it over to Howell again and say keep pace you know which is if nothing else a wildly high variance end of how this can go like it Sam Howell's played some of his best football where they've abandoned the run run hurry up and just said deal and see what happens he's also played some of his worst football in those situations (laughs) as well so like who the hell knows how this is gonna go
1: we don't know um yeah so I think I think the Dolphins are gonna have their way offensively I don't think the without Jack Del Rio doesn't matter. I mean, they're they're not going to be able to hang with right. this Dolphins passing attack. I think it attack. should help.
0: Like I I do think that Del Rio's defense was becoming a problem. So shifting scheme or shifting coaching, I think should help them. I just don't know if it's going to be
1: this week. Um. So predicting the nine and a half again. I don't. In any given week, Howell can get rid of the ball quickly and make big time throws and make plays with his legs and and let them hang. I think. I think I might lean as nine and a half point underdogs that washington can cover but i got yeah miami definitely definitely have the dolphins winning this game so where are you going to go on this one nine and a half points dolphins favorite uh that's a lot of points
0: um yeah i'll lean i'll say washington cover that
1: yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna do the same i don't love it i don't love it whatsoever but um yeah i'll go with them Sam Howell bouncing back and making some big plays to at least keep it close. All right, let's go AFC South matchup. Indianapolis Colts at the Tennessee Titans. You know where I'm going with this one, Sam. Titans are in Nashville. Mm. 4-0 and in Nashville. And uh, 0-7 in all other cities in the world. And yet they're a home underdog. Home underdog. People are not considering this. No. Colts favored by one here going into Tennessee. Um, the Colts are ultra playoff team playoff caliber team here as far as record goes six and five they're actually they're tied with the texans for second in the afc south
0: yeah and they're in the playoffs as things currently stand right they are sitting in the yeah. wild card spot
1: they are surprising yeah baker uh, baker mayfield gardner Minshew, indianapolis colts currently the seven seed tied at six and five with the texans and the broncos but owning the tiebreaker hipster baker mayfield hipster baker mayfield gardner Minshew, in a year where the bills and the bengals are on the outside looking in (laughs) in the playoff picture unexpected coming into the year here
0: yeah um indianapolis one of the things they've had working for them has been that defensive line which has caused all kinds of problems for teams in the last few weeks um and sometimes from unexpected sources like samson ebucam was crushing it last week was a big part of them winning the game
1: he has a career high pff grade this year
0: yeah he's been playing well but yep. you know he's not the kind of player that you expect to be like taking over games and determining the outcome No, for, for sure um and every week you look at tennessee and they're one of those teams where your starting point at least for me tends to be who are we going up against because this offensive line is is bad and if we face a team that's good enough to exploit that it's going to be tough sledding
1: yeah, it is. And I think, you know, Will Levis has been a little inconsistent as a rookie because he is a rookie when he's been at his best, it's when they can run play action and get the ball down the field. And I think they're still capable of that with DeAndre Hopkins. Um Chris Moore. Have I done my little Chris Moore rant yet? I don't think so. Um I've been waiting for this one for the last <laughs> for the last couple of weeks. Okay. The guy doesn't there's there's no sense made in uh in Chris Moore. He has become receiver for the Titans, by the way. Yes. He has become one of the most unexpected deep threats in the NFL that you would like just out of nowhere. He's averaging I, I don't have the right number here, but he's averaging over twenty-three yards per reception. It was even it was a twenty-six going into last week and you know caught a couple passes for for 40 yards. He has become a like a designated deep threat. He's become the Khalif Raymond guy that we always talk about which is fine, other than the fact that he's been in the league for about seven years. He's never done it before. He's never been a deep threat, and he ran a 4-5-3. There's nothing about Chris Moore that says, oh, yeah, he's a definite 24, 25 yards per reception guy. And the Titans are getting him the ball in end of rounds. They're getting him the ball in space. They're throwing the ball to him downfield. It's just a fascinating development for a guy that came into the league in 2016 as a fourth-round pick.
0: Yeah, his college numbers were very, you know, Designated deep thready though, like his college his average catch in his enti- entire college career was like 19, um, and it was above 20 in three of the four years. So he he sort of has that. But you're right, like 6'1 200 pounds that runs a four five. This is not a guy you expect to have any kind of like. Oh, uh, he's gonna be he's gonna be the new Will Fuller, but apparently he is.
1: It makes like look at the rest of his NFL career. He never. He never caught more than—he had 48 catches last year for Houston at 11.4 per catch. He had 13.8 yards per catch back in 2017 on 18 catches for the Ravens. There's no point in his career where he did anything like what he's doing right now. And it's just 12 catches for 280. It's just fascinating. And it's like the Titans are going out of their way. Like, we got to get our Chris Moore deep shots in there. His average depth of target is 20 yards downfield. Right. He's never done anything like that. Last year it was nine. Yeah. I mean, good for the Titans. It's not, and again, it's not like he's going to the Pro Bowl or anything like that, but I love having one of these guys on the team. And they
0: needed one, right? Because they bring in DeAndre Hopkins and like my analysis on Hopkins before he had moved anywhere was, you know, can he still play? He can do everything except this, right? At this point in his career, Hopkins can still win at all levels except consistently taking the top off a defense or running pass coverage. Now he's had some, you know deep receptions this year for the titans but they've not been like beating a guy one-on-one uh unless he he, unless he's given the opportunity to grab the corner and throw him off the field right like aj terrell he can win that way but what he can't do is just run past aj terrell and get you know two yards of separation anymore so that's the element that was missing to this offense and if they found it in chris moore good for them
1: now if so this is where again i i We've been intrigued by Will Levis throwing the ball down the field. It hasn't been nearly as good as it was his first, you know, in his debut. Mm. But if you can get a couple plays for designated deep threat Chris Moore, get the ball down the field to DeAndre Hopkins, I think Tennessee has a chance. Um, of course, you've got Derrick Henry. Henry is running unbelievably behind a not-so-good offensive line. So you, you mentioned the line. The Titans historically have been a good run-blocking offensive line, bad pass blocking. This year it's not good either way. Um, but Henry, over 90 PFF grade because he's just making a lot happen on his own. So they have these pieces where they can create offense. My concern still is up front, as you're saying. You know, Jalen Duncan, uh, rookie left tackle last week, 47 pass blocking grade. He did not look good at Maryland last year. When he had to go up against Penn State or Ohio State, he was getting absolutely crushed. I have concerns against him going up against the great Samson, Cam, and the Colts rushers. So I think it's a challenge blocking up front, whereas the Colts on the other side – Quietly really good in the trenches, both sides of the ball. If, as long as Minshew's taking care of the ball, I think they, um, they'll have some opportunities here to move the ball.
0: Um, the Titans are now, they have one of my favorite sort of grading uh, quirks in, in PFF Premium Stats 2.0. They are top three graded receivers in terms of receiving grade. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons, DeAndre Hopkins, and Derrick Henry.
1: Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> you got to feature your best players. Right. No matter which side of the ball they're on. <laughs> So uh, the Jeffrey Simmons package is outstanding. Um, so yeah, I think you know Tennessee scored 17 last week to get the win against Carolina at home. This will be the first time I think I'm going to pick against Tennessee. At home.
0: Oh, you're going against the home? All your all home my road analysis split.
1: says. Now listen, I'll let the viewers and the you know you guys maybe help decide. All my analysis says Colt, mm-hmm. but Tennessee's at home. Yeah. And that analysis says they're undefeated in Nashville and they're home dogs? Yeah. All right. I can't believe you're going against that. You're right. Roll with Nashville. Roll with Nashville. <laughs> take the, I'll take the Titans to cover against the Colts. All right, let's go. Um, here we go. Los Angeles Chargers at the New England Patriots. Chargers favored by five and a half in New England. And it's looking like Bailey Zappi is yeah. going to be getting the start for the New England Patriots. Reports out of New England yesterday that Mac Jones took zero snaps at practice. Bailey Zappi took starter snaps with Malik Cunningham taking backup snaps, the Mm -hmm. rookie quarterback out of Louisville. So it might be Zappi time here. Great. Everybody's excited by that. Now, if Zappi was going up against Josh Allen, I would say that's one of the bigger discrepancies in um, arm talent and QB skill set that you would see. But it's still pretty close with Zappi and Justin Herbert. Yeah. Just an interesting dichotomy
0: yeah i mean ultimately it's a move they have to make right like mike jones i mean god he just he has to be sat down whether it's for him whether it's for everybody else's sake they have to sit him down the problem is we've seen
1: i think a few times now that the chances are bailey
0: Zappy's not going to be much better
1: now i think bailey zappi's 2-0 as a starter yeah so he's done he's he's been he's been a relief pitcher four times this year mm. he's coming in relief and but last well. year as a starter. 2-0 and against the Browns and the Lions last year. So maybe as a starter, Zappi you will know, build the game plan around him.
0: Yeah, you think that's what it is?
1: I mean, he was hyped up for, like, four throws last year because every time he ran play action, the defense fell over. Mm. And uh, guys were left wide open. It didn't make a ton of sense. And then yeah, the, uh, there was, like, a brief
0: period of time where back. people were saying, like, genuinely, is there a QB controversy based off the two starts that he had? And then it's like, no, of course there isn't. Like, he's not good.
1: He had two starts. Mac Jones came back. And then on... Monday night football, Zappi replaced Mac Jones. He runs play action. The defense completely bites on it. There's a guy wide open. He has, like, a 40-yard touchdown on his first pass. That was the loudest Gillette Stadium had been since, like, you know, the good days in New England. Um, and But since that point, he's been not so good. Zappi doesn't have a great arm. But, you know, New England, they, they're, like, they're, like, breaking records for um, various futility stats. Yeah. You know, like, losing games when they – only allow ten points, two straight times. You know they're running the ball extremely well, but still not putting points on the board. It's just a matter of can they put a couple drives together and uh, improve this offense? I think Zappi's at least capable of that, but he's had some horrendous ints in there too, just like Mac Jones has. Yes,
0: I mean, uh, yeah. Ultimately, I don't think that that's going to work. I mean, I think Bailey Zappy is probably going to end up having a similar kind of performance from uh, to Mac Jones, albeit. You know, it looks slightly differently, and it, it maybe won't be as, as overtly depressing as the Mike Jones collapse. Um, I just don't think, you know, they're not. It's not the spark that's going to turn this offense into something good. They're going to run the ball like crazy and hope that they can do that enough that Bailey Zappi doesn't have the chance to throw the game away for them. And to be fair, they've got a shot at that. You know, in this particular game.
1: Oh, they. I think they'll be able to run against the Chargers. It's just a matter of not not putting that disastrous interception together. Um, Chargers are four and seven, man. Yeah. Four and seven. And while their season feels like a disaster, again, they still have good players. They still have games where, you know, Khalil Mack looks great. And Justin Herbert has these outstanding games and Keenan Allen is fun. And, you know, Herbert's the number nine graded QB. And I think the, char- the Chargers aren't going to end the season with four wins, but remember a couple of years ago when Deshaun Watson had a really good season and they only scored, they only had four wins in houston the chargers are dangerously dangerously close to one of those types of seasons where your quarterback's good overall and you still find a way yeah with a top 10 quarterback to um to lose a lot of games
0: and this is not this is not the chargers defense of the last couple of years where you would say okay simply doing nothing but running ramondre stevenson and zeke elliott will get you you know five and a half yards per carry and you can win the game without ever putting it mac in mac jones or bailey zappy's hands this year, the Chargers defense is only giving up 4.2 yards per carry, which is basically league average. So they've gone from by far the worst run defense in the NFL to a run defense that is simply average. Uh, but I think you're right. like that, that has to be New England's game plan. Try and establish the run as much as humanly possible. Don't put it in Bailey Zappi's hands unless we have to and hope that we can get enough joy out of that 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 works.
1: So get ready for the next few months. Bill Belichick is going to be rumored to be the next coach for every team that needs a coach, mm-hmm. including potentially the Chargers. So is Bill Belichick getting a close-up view of his future team here, Sam? Uh, I don't. Does, I, no. Would Bill Belichick go to the Chargers with Justin Herbert there and there's, there's this foundation of players to, to build around in his I old age? don't think so.
0: Okay. I think of all the teams that are going to be interested in Belichick, I, the Chargers doesn't feel like one that Belichick would be interested in. Out to L. A. Not an L. A. guy. Not so much that. Just in terms of situation, like I think there are going to be teams that make more sense for him to go where you can have maybe full control, even if not full control. It's it's a it's a situation that has demonstrated more competence, you know, overall
1: that he'll be better in. Like I just I don't see the Chargers as a particularly good fit. All right, man. Chargers favored by 5.5 here in New England. 1 o'clock start. Where are you going with this one?
0: The Patriots to keep it closer than 5.5.
1: Patriots to keep it closer than 5.5. So the the, the zappy bump. Zappy bump? That's what you're expecting? Or just no, I just it think they'll
0: be able to keep it closer.
1: Than that. <laughs> I think right. they
0: might be able to run the ball enough and have Zappy throw enough screens that they can just keep. Plus, it's the Chargers, right? They find some way <laughs> of not winning by,
1: you know, 12 or whatever. Uh, I'll take the Chargers. Again, I could easily paint this picture where New England, you know, gets a little spark and they run the ball and play solid defense and the Chargers – Charger, but I got to say the Chargers have a a better squad all the way across
0: yeah I mean they absolutely do I just think that they'll find a way of not <laughs> exploiting that to its fullest
1: all right let's go uh Carolina Panthers at the Tampa Bay Bucks. Bucks favored by five and a half here at home Panthers have just one win but they just fired Frank Reich so another and others and others yes QB coach Josh McCown Deuce Staley running back coach uh so new mm-hmm. coach bump here yeah, I might be Panther. most fascinated about that element of it. Chris Tabor yeah. is the new, uh, the interim head coach. Right. He was the special teams coach. Mm-hmm. And a holdover.
0: So so Frank Reich put together this quite eclectic coaching staff that was like a mix of, you know, seasoned old veterans, like tons of experience, and guys that were like in the league last week, right? Yeah. Like Josh McCown, right? So they had this weird mix, but there were also, I think, two coaches from the previous regime that David Tepper wanted to keep around. One of which was this guy, the special teams coach, who stayed from the previous coaching regime. So, they had like three different types of coaches in this staff. There was the old grizzled veterans, the brand new coaches, and a couple of guys that were in the last coaching staff that Tepper wanted to keep around. And that's the guy running the show right now with the uh, cons- consultation... Of Dave, uh, of Jim Caldwell, as just a, a voice. Yeah, fascinating. And he... then this guy comes in, and is like, I tell you what, I, I appreciate that you've gotten rid of Frank. That clearly needed to happen. I also appreciate that I'm now in
1: charge, and the first thing I want to do is get rid of Deuce Staley and Josh McCown. What was happening? Like, was he just these guys should never be coaching? I, don't know. I can't stand working with them. What was happening? There? I
0: have no idea. I just think that that's. An incredibly interesting element of this whole thing is that an interim guy who typically don't – I don't know that they even have hiring and firing privileges normally, but this combination of the special teams coach and Jim Caldwell have come in and said, we didn't go far enough getting rid of Frank. I need Deuce and Josh out of the building.
1: (laughs) Now, Jim Caldwell, he was the guy that came in in like week 11 or 12, right, for the Ravens on their Super Bowl run. He came in, took over – I forget – tip of my tongue having been like like the only
0: having been the sort of guy that everyone points at for the lions of like hey remember when you thought jim caldwell needed to be fired despite like winning games and doing quite a good job and then everything since that had been terrible until the dan campbell period
1: yeah Jim Caldwell's had an interesting career because he won in Indianapolis with Peyton Manning and a lot of people said well it's because and got, yeah Manning. and got no
0: credit for that because right. it was Tony Dungy having left and then Peyton right. Manning there so it's like well none of this is Jim and then he does a good job in Detroit
1: it's like well not good enough and in between there he was the guy remember the, the Ravens offense and Joe Flacco didn't look good in 2012 they yeah. looked horrendous and then they ended up going to win the Super Bowl, but it was after they appointed Jim Caldwell coordinator at, around this time of the season. It right. was like around Thanksgiving, um, and Caldwell was a catalyst there. So it's an interesting... I wonder if he'll be in the mix as far as the the head coaching job goes mm. going forward because, yeah, he got fired from Detroit for just not being able to get them over the hump. Yeah. But he got them to the playoffs, right. right? Again, against expectations, Jim Caldwell has done a great job throughout his career. Um, so... You know the same way Jim Caldwell went in and helped Joe, Joe Flacco in 2012. Is there a world where we're going to start seeing signs of life here for Bryce Young down the stretch for the for the Panthers?
0: Yeah, I mean that's all you can look for, right? Is is everything about this Panthers offense has been awful so far? Is there any change whatsoever? Getting rid of Frank Reich, or did we just not even rearrange the deck chairs in the Titanic? Did we just change nothing for
1: the sake of changing? And as bad as. Carolina has been this season the Bucks are 2-7 and seven since starting 2-0 and um, and again even those even those games where they won early in the season you kind of snuck past the Vikings in week one beat the Bears um, I mean the Bucs have really they've been competitive in pretty much every single game but they're not they're not finishing games they've had opportunities to make comebacks against the Colts uh, blew a game against the Texans, wherever your perspective is, had a chance to come back against the Bills, kind of made that close. Uh, comeback opportunity against the Falcons. They've been pretty close in a lot of games, but they're sitting here at four and seven. Um, but just like every other team in the NFC South, like the Bucks still legitimately have a chance to win the division because they do play the Panthers twice and they have the, the two teams that are ahead of them, the Falcons and the Saints, still have those two teams on the schedule. Can the Bucs actually make a make a run here even though they're two and seven in their last nine games
0: yeah i mean if they can't beat the panthers what are they even doing like (laughs) like everything has been terrible for the panthers this season sure they just fired a coach but like it's still all bad i mean the offensive line is still miserable the coach uh you know has no real experience of being doing anything at this level at this talking about the bucks no the 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 panthers oh the panthers Um, yeah like, sure, they might have a new bump by shifting, getting rid of Frank Reich, but I just, it, it doesn't change any of the, the underlying problems. So this should be Tampa Bay's comfortably.
1: Yeah, it'd be interesting to see, you know, the Bucs pass rush has been, you know, kind of hit or miss this year, but seeing rookie Kalajicansi, you know, Vita Vea every single week, as we say, should be able to dominate. Um, Shaq Barrett coming off the edge, Joe Tryon, uh The Panthers, Panthers offensive line has been like a get-right spot, basically, for – Opposing teams. The matchup between Bryce Young and the passing offense and Todd Bowles, I think, is an interesting one because the Bucks' defense seems to fluctuate between, eh, you know, good and you know, blitz heavy, and they really challenge opposing quarterbacks, and then just you know, giving up so many free big plays. Um, the secondary is not grading very well. They've got second-year Zion McCollum back there struggling you know, because of injuries this could actually be a spot where the panthers if they could scheme it up a little bit better you know we that they'll have some plays to be to be made in the secondary but bryce young in that offensive line going up against todd bowles and his blitzes that probably probably doesn't bode well so five and a half for the bucks where you going with this one
0: uh i'm going for the bucks
1: i'm not buying that carolina fix things all right i'll do the same i'm going to do the same I usually I usually go with the interim coach bump. I usually go that route, but I'm not in this one. Super Bowl rematch, Sam. Arizona Cardinals at the Pittsburgh Steelers. 2008 Super Bowl, whatever year that was, or whatever <laughs> Super Bowl that was. Steelers favored by five and a half. The new look, 16 points a game, 400-plus yards per game. Steelers yeah, what a favored game by five and a half. What a crazy Super-, Super
0: Bowl, that was! Let's just talk about the Super Bowl. Just that game. Santonio San Holmes, the interception by James Harrison. 100-yard
1: interception before the half.
0: We've got the culmination of one of the greatest runs ever in the postseason of Larry Fitzgerald.
1: Fitz Kurt just Warner. catches the ball over the middle and just splits the D. Mm-hmm. Took it to the house, right? Yeah. For like 70 yards or whatever it was. And that was
0: at the end. Of like every game that, that
1: year in the playoffs, Fitz had like $1.50. Fitz just was crushing it. incredible that year. It was an interesting year, too, because that was the year Brady was out for the season. The Colts lost early with Peyton, and it was just, oh, there's different teams. Yeah. Right? The NFC was completely wide open. The Cardinals were a pretty good team. Um, it was a fun year because you just had different teams there. Mm-hmm. Anywho. Where were you? Where were you watching? Where was I? Yeah. Uh, it's o- a more interesting game than this week's. <laughs> oh, fine.
0: At home, I think. I don't know. Like in Ireland. Nice. I don't remember where it was specifically for that game, but I assume somewhere at home. No, it was at you? my friend's house, my yeah. friend
1: Kevin's house. I used to go there for the Super Bowl. We moved on from going to Uncle Anthony's house. <laughs> I went to Uncle Anthony's house. Let's see, Niners-Bengals 88 through 93. Uh-huh. So I, I used to always watch the Super Bowl over there. What happened? Um, then 94, I went to a friend's house. 95, I went back to Uncle Anthony's house. He was real upset with Neil O'Donnell. He thought, he thought Neil O'Donnell was on the take. Remember, he kept throwing picks hmm. to uh, Larry Brown. Did he have any insight into into that? I'm just saying he, he thought Neil, yeah. was on the take. He probably didn't. I'm not gonna forget it. He <laughs> did not like that game, and that may have been the last Super Bowl. That was probably the last one. Then I was off, you know, with my friends and mixing it up. That was my last time, I think, hmm. over at his house. People wanted to know that. All right, this week's Cardinals-Steelers game. Steelers by five and a half here. Um, what are you looking for in this one? Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, obviously, last week we saw the the Matt canada Steelers have a big bump, 400 yards. Kenny Pickett looked really good. Now, they still didn't get the ball in the end zone that much, but part of that was sort of freak plays. Like, Pickett put the ball in his receiver's hands in the end zone. It just didn't end up getting called a touchdown because it came out late in the play. But... You know, the Cardinals have a bad defense. Like, this is a team where you would expect the run to continue. So if it doesn't, we're going to have some problems. But this could legitimately have been, have been the start of a Steelers run towards the kind of success some people, including myself, were predicting preseason, right? Like, if they have fixed the offense, if Matt Canada was the problem, and they're now going to regularly put up four bills, and Kenny Pickett's going to grade in the 90s, like, this is a serious team. Um, and the Cardinals, it's just like, can they hang with that? Can Kyler Murray do anything on the other side to offset what this kind of success we expect Pittsburgh to have?
1: Yeah, it's uh, first off, Pittsburgh has this game where they're favored by five and a half. They've got New England coming to town on a short week next Thursday night. Like they've got a legit chance here to be nine and four in a couple weeks here in Pittsburgh. Um, Kyler Murray, since coming back, uh, sixty three grade overall. I thought. I thought he looked rusty early on, which was, you know, we kind of chalked that up to okay, missed a few throws, but he hasn't really hasn't really grown off that the last couple of weeks. Um, hasn't been running as effectively as he did in that first week either. It really is an important test down the stretch here because Arizona is going to have to choose between keeping Kyler Murray and picking another like another elite player, um a blue chip player like a Marvin Harrison Jr. to add to the mix or Finding a way out of Kyler Murray's contract or trading him uh, in exchange for a Drake May or Caleb Williams. So this is you know we're still in the middle of that test for Kyler Murray. I think there's any given week he could play. He could play well. You know, get the ball down the field, get Marquise Brown involved. Uh, but he hasn't played all that well the last few weeks. He's actually gotten worse. Yeah, I mean
0: if the season ended today, Arizona would have the number two and the number seventeen overall pick in the first round. So they they are. Uh, on pace to have a direct conversation about Kyla Murray or the one of Drake Mayer, Caleb Williams who doesn't go number one overall or trade you know or trade down
1: and that's with um, and that's with Kyla Murray having pretty high trade value because again,
0: yeah, there will I, be interested teams, in- yeah,
1: because Arizona could say, well we'd rather have one of these potential elite well these top draft pick quarterbacks on their rookie contract. But there's 10 to 15 teams around the NFL who would probably want to have Kyler Murray on their team as well, including after he's already signed. He, he's already got a signing bonus covered by Arizona, right? That was the move that Detroit made. Um, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of ourselves. We'll get into the offseason soon. But in this particular game, Steelers' running game last week was really good. Najee Harris had a nice game, and Arizona's run defense just got thrashed by the Rams. They've got the lowest run defense grade in the league. I think Pittsburgh has another chance to put up a ton of yards. But, again, I think once, you know, like the Saints, red zone, finishing, Kenny Pickett, finding ways to throw touchdowns, uh, they're going to have to do that this week.
0: Yeah. Um, Broderick Jones has made a difference to that Steelers offensive line, and not necessarily because he's playing amazingly every uh, play, but because at the moment he's quite high variance. And I think there's – when you have a potential – like there's value to being able to crush a guy on a block because if that if that's the play that the running back is headed in that direction, that can be a big play, right? And it, and the ones where you miss and the guy gets stuffed in the backfield for a two yard loss doesn't necessarily make a big difference to the you know the offense on that drive because the next drive second and twelve you're gonna be passing if you hit that pass it didn't matter right? Whereas the forty yard gain because Jalen Warren is explosive and fast that can make a big difference so this the inconsistency with broderick jones's blocking right now doesn't necessarily make a huge difference negatively if the rest of the offense can overcome it but the positive blocks that he makes can make a big difference
1: his good blocks have been outstanding yeah. i mean he is explosive a lot of his good blocks have been getting to the second level uh rapidly and wrecking linebackers um yeah he's, he's had some he's had some whiffs in there as well and whiffs on big plays right i keep reminding people of the uh, Thursday night game against Tennessee where Jones got knocked five yards into the backfield and Jalen Warren juked him for a 24-yard touchdown or whatever it was. But overall, Broderick Jones has been, has been pretty good at right tackle with his, his good blocks have been really impressive and effective. Uh, Kenny Pickett coming off a hit, one of his better games. Can he, you know, was this like a legitimate change or was it really just a bad Bengals defense? They have had yeah. a rough stretch of, uh, of play – Um, But I think the Steelers will have success again this week because they're playing a not-so-good Cardinals team. So, where are you going? Yeah, it's the
0: perfect defense for Pittsburgh to sort of suggest that the thing is real, right? That Canada getting rid... Like, Canada was the source of all the problems, and getting rid of him has freed them to become this great offense. Even if that's not true, it might look true for another week because the Cardinals' defense is bad, and where they're strong is not enough to combat the Steelers, theoretically. So, I... I'm buying into the bump. I think the Steelers will look for legit for at least another week, even if it doesn't continue.
1: Yeah, I'll uh, agree with that. Steelers, I'll take them to cover the five and a half here. All right, Atlanta Falcons at the New York Jets. The Falcons are favored by two and a half in New York. The Jets have Tim Boyle starting at quarterback. But the big news for the Jets this week, Aaron Rodgers, practice window is open, and he was throwing football passes yesterday.
0: Yeah. In slow motion.
1: That's fascinating.
0: So that gives him 21 days, right? That's the window? Yeah. So that takes them
1: starting... He's not taking... There's no contact right now. He's yeah. doing functional football drills, and they're going to continue to build up from that.
0: So theoretically, he could be back for week 15
1: against Miami? Yeah. That's three weeks. I mean, the Jets... Now, the Jets are currently... 15th seed right in the afc like he'll be 16
0: i don't think that they can keep the season alive to the point where rogers is relevant so if he like they're now factoring in this concept of him coming back for completely
1: pointless final few weeks but does aaron Rodgers have billionaire level spite he might have billionaire level spite against, uh, I don't know, everyone. yeah. Well, where so, he would want to just come back and say, look, I did it. I came back in three months.
0: No, I think that that, yeah. I, so that's the thing. Like, I could definitely see there being value, vaguely silly value, but value nonetheless to being like just getting back for the final game, right? Just to sort of, their final game is on the road against New England, right? Week 18. I, even if their season's dead, like I could see Rogers wanting to get back, start that final game and be like, I did it, I made the comeback, 40-year-old, Achilles, I'm back. Look, aren't I amazing, right? All of the things. Everyone's focusing on Aaron Rodgers in the day where everyone else should be focusing on playoffs. But no, it's all about me. Congratulations to me. I don't really see the point in doing that in week 15. Like, okay, sure, you'll have that day, but like now you got to do it three more times before the season's done and risk getting
1: hurt again. He could also call it a win and just say, well, I was ready to go.
0: And then just sit down, like play, pay play in week fifteen. I was 15 ready to go, Miami. but we're
1: five and ten. Why would I do that? No, because you know, he definitely or five and nine.
0: I, he'll want to play, right? But like, would you play him in week fifteen and then just sit him down for the rest of the year? Or like, I did come back, but now there's no point in playing the final three games. Depends on what the.
1: I think this this calls for a darkness retreat. Yeah, maybe to. Uh, it's to just a, it's what a he wants very
0: weird thing now. But anyway, now it's Tim Boyle game again.
1: Yeah, going up against a, a feisty Falcons defense, um, the Falcon uh, sorry the the Jets defense is we've you know they've got the number one coverage grade in the NFL, and they've been outstanding at the second level or, or the you know at the linebacker level. Quincy Williams playing great ball, uh, corners are tough to throw on, but I do think the Falcons have run game answers. You know, even though they had the invisible right tackle play last week, overall they're very good. At creating in the run game, Bijan Robinson, Tyler Algier, what Desmond Ritter being a, a threat as well. I think the Falcons have a chance to move the ball on the ground. I'm just concerned every time Desmond Ritter drops back against that Jets pass rush and great coverage unit.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I think one big thing is just does the offense cause enough problems that like I feel like every game for the Jets now. Is they have an incredibly short fuse for the defense, like unraveling and getting frustrated and pissed off that everything's going
1: south, right? Like if that they, has been the last couple of weeks, right? Yeah, against the Bills and the Dolphins.
0: And if things go well at the start of the game, I think we're fine, right? I think the Jets can have one of those games where that that defense is so good, um, but it doesn't always look great because the offense is going to dig them a hole and they'll get beaten in a few plays and then they'll get annoyed and frustrated and it it'll unravel, right? But I think if the game starts off in their favor and things don't unravel, their defense could absolutely suffocate this Falcons offense. But if things get away from them, or if Tim Boyle throws a pick six, or if they fumble the ball away or something, and then the Falcons get a big play randomly, or even just get a drive going, I think we're right like we are just a few, you know a match strike away from the defense exploding and getting annoyed. And like the Falcons easing away and winning because the like they're they're at that kind of it's a tinderbox right they're just so annoyed and frustrated with how this season is going that I think we're right on the brink immediately
1: in every game. Couldn't you see something similar to what happened on the the Black Friday game where the Falcons put together maybe one drive one and a half drives they're up ten nothing Desmond Ritter. You know, one of the league leaders in turnover-worthy plays puts the ball in harm's way. Jets get the ball back, short field, and it's like this close game. But the you know Falcons pull it out, you know, sixteen to six or sixteen to nine or something like that. I mean, that's what I'm looking at here. Unless, again, Tim Boyle didn't play horribly the yeah. other day. He had a, a hail mary pick six, right? He had some some bad luck in there as well, but. It's not. It doesn't. It hasn't mattered how well the quarterback plays because the offensive line has just revolving door of not good players right now. And again, beyond Garrett Wilson, who are the guys to throw to? Yeah. Um, so the situation hasn't been great. The quarterback play hasn't been great unless the Jets, you know, find a, find a spark in Tim Boyle. I'm expecting a, a low scoring game here, though. Yeah,
0: I do feel like the Jets' defense matches up well against the Falcons' offense as well. Like even. Atlanta's strengths, I don't think, are necessarily strengths against the Jets. You know, the the physicality of a sauce gardener, say, is a good matchup against a guy like uh, Drake London. Um, I think they have a a good enough run defense to combat Bijan Robinson, the the Falcons' run game, even with Desmond Ritter as part of it. I I think that they can. They have the capacity to absolutely shut down um, that Falcons' offense. But the question is, will they get frustrated and lose the rag because their own offense stinks
1: keep an eye on Jesse Bates man I don't know if he can force those turnovers every single week but Tim Boyle could give him a couple opportunities here mm. okay so Falcons by two and a half here in New York where are you leaning with this one
0: uh yeah I think Atlanta I, I sort of I feel like the Jets defense is gonna get frustrated and unravel. Again, every week now.
1: I'll take the Falcons to cover the two and a half. I do think, I think they'll have some success on the ground. Just a matter of Desmond Ritter not putting the ball in harm's way three or four times, like almost every other quarterback has against the Jets. Yeah. Um, which is a strong bet, but I feel like the Falcons can at least well, the, the Jets turning not every, rely on him as much, you know?
0: The Jets turning every opposing quarterback into Zach Wilson's level. What happens if the quarterback already started at Zach Wilson's level? <laughs>
1: right. He becomes Tim Boyle's level. I don't know. All right, let's go to the four o'clock games. Three more games to discuss here. Denver Broncos at the Houston Texans, by the way. This game. Uh, oh, so uh, we haven't updated the schedule here. This game's now at one. And I forgot the Panthers Bucks, they flipped these two games. So Panthers Bucks is actually in the four o'clock window. I think the NFL did that just to get more eyeballs on Niners Eagles. Yeah. And to get more eyeballs maybe on Broncos Texans in the one o'clock hour uh, because both teams are six and five. And right on the outside, the eight and nine seeds right now in the AFC. So playoff implications here. with The Texans favored by three and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, the Broncos are on a ridiculous stretch where something like 20% of their defensive possessions over the last few weeks have been turnovers. So on one hand, impressive turnaround by the Broncos. And it's coincided with a much better defensive play, slew of turnovers, a high-volume rushing attack, and Russell Wilson making one or two special rust plays per game, and that's been the formula for the Broncos. But that also feels like a fragile formula. So <laughs> can they can they keep that up here against Houston?
0: Uh, yeah,
1: that's entirely – I mean, that's the question. Um, Got some Broncos fans just getting to the chat here, excited, feeling good about this little run they're on.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're on a – you know, they're – they're going to get talked about as like the hottest team in the NFL because they have the longest, the longest win streak, right? Yep. Um, I think that might be overstating it a little bit. But, yeah, you have to respect the, the improvement. I mean, forget the win streak, just the, the sheer improvement, particularly of the defense, which has gone from, remember, they got beat by 70, and 70 was soft. Remember, Miami They only got beaten up.
1: by 50, Sam. They gave so, up Okay, 70. they
0: gave up 70. They got beaten. I mean, they got beaten by a score of 70 points on defense was my point. Like, gotcha. they gave up 70 points. And 70 was a soft number because Miami elected not to take a field goal that would have set the record for some reason. That, that made no sense to anybody. Um, and yet now, like, they, they limit Kansas City to nine points. Um, they limit Buffalo to 22 points. They limit Cleveland, albeit without their quarterback, you know, to twelve, like they are playing really well as a defense, and Russell Wilson is playing really well. Put the ball in Cortland Sutton's hands in the end zone last week, and he didn't come up with the catch. It's a good team right now.
1: It is, and again, I think you know they've. Um, it, it's been uh, you know guys like Samaje P. Ryan stepping up and getting big plays by Cortland Sutton, even though he didn't bring that in. Um, I'm in, I'm intrigued by what Denver's done because again, I don't think Russ is completely back or anything like that. But they've at least got this more controlled environment, a high volume rushing attack as I've mentioned, and just in getting just enough plays from him. And he's in Wilson's shown that he's got his athleticism back. He's able to make some of those special plays per game and and you know, the defense that not only like, they didn't just give up 70, Sam. I mean, they were historically bad through four games, five games. Yeah. And they had they gave up you know, 32 straight completions in in the first half across two different games where every quarterback was looking out of this world good against them. They have uh, they've completely rectified that. I mean, they, the they
0: were so weeks. bad in that first month that even like after the last month plus of improvement, they've only just crawled off the bottom of the table <laughs> like in league-wide over the season. They are now the 29th ranked defense in the NFL in terms of EPA per play. But like in the last month, they are like massively towards the top let me uh what exactly is that over the last of the last four games
1: and there and now you've got cj stroud in the texans yeah and they're top
0: seven in the last month and it's it's own like they were so bad that they've only just managed to haul themselves off the bottom of the table
1: for a bunch of numbers and then on the other side you have cj stroud and i know the the texans lost a, a tough one to the to the jags last week mm. But Stroud continues to get better. You know, I, I highlighted on Monday it felt like he had to play outside the pocket a ton on Sunday. It was, some of it was forced, some of it wasn't, but he still did it effectively. It's almost like he's um, – I don't want him to play like that, but he's adding these extra elements to his game. His last three game grades, we have a 91, 82, 80.9, 85. He's been excellent over these last few yeah. weeks, basically since Bryce Young outplayed him, which, by the way, that happened this season, in this season – Bryce Young, who uh, everybody's ready to give up on. Bryce Young outplayed CJ. Stroud just five weeks ago. That's yeah. all, you know five weeks ago that happened. but since that point, Stroud's been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, and you know his uh, Tank Dell just showed up on the injury report yesterday. But the connection between Stroud, he's found a great connection with Tank Dell that you highlighted on Monday with Nico Collins, with Dalton Schultz. Everything's really coming together for the Texans other than yeah a heartbreaker last week against the jacks
0: yeah that i mean he's played fantastically and he's been good at the stuff that was a question mark for him coming into the season and you know you're bringing up is he living too much out of structure i mean he's playing so well out of structure right now that i to an extent don't care um but this is a fascinating game for that because titus howard's down right um acl gone for the year for for the Houston Texans, so they just lost a player on the offensive line that was pretty important for them. Denver's pass rush has been pretty good recently. Baron Browning being back, uh, Nick Benito doing well. Um, They've got a stable of guys now that are generating a pretty consistent level of pass rush. Like, Can they exploit that offensive line for Houston that's been very good this year, whether it's Scheme, whether it's Stroud, whether it's the group playing better than they would expect them to, combination of all those things. Uh, can they put him under pressure and force him to make some mistakes if they can't, I mean, that Houston offense is really good.
1: Yeah. That was what last week against the Jags, they didn't get a high volume of quick pressure, but they had some pressure at the right times yeah. down the stretch,
0: particularly late. Yeah. yeah. Yes,
1: late in the game in must pass situations where the Jags pass rush just won, And, and again, that's why it was difficult for Houston to make that comeback. And Stroud took a couple sacks late in the game. Um, I think Houston's as I mentioned a couple weeks ago they're getting closer to being a complete team running the ball more effectively Um, Derek Stingley stepping up in year two at corner Uh, D'Amico Ryan's calling the action Will Anderson the rookie like they have a lot of guys kind of coming together playing solid and playing probably well enough defensively adding the run game to a team that has been just Stroud in the passing attack right I mean like when you're making that MVP case it's like what was houston supposed to be and what has stroud been able to make them essentially that's why he has a case because they've been reliant on on the pass game but they they've rounded into form a little bit better over the last over the last few weeks i still don't completely trust the defense in houston but um how many defenses do you even trust anyway (laughs) in a yeah. given season, you know, so they're not much different than any other team.
0: They've been, um, the defense has been inconsistent, but it's had games where it's really showed up and That's, limited yeah. limited the uh, the opposition. That's like, what I'm
1: saying. Like, that part of it's encouraging, right? And, yeah. the, you know, D'Amico Ryan's calls a good game. They've got some good players. Blake Cashman, we just highlighted as, you know, one of the most improved players. So there's yeah. lots of like there.
0: Yeah, it's a big variable in this game. Like, if Houston's defense shows up, I think they're a big favorites to this game.
1: If they don't, it's much more of a 50-50. So it comes down to, to me, Denver has done this incredible job forcing turnovers. We always, we always say, like, these things that are supposed to regress, when are they going to regress? Mm-hmm. Who the heck knows? Who knows? But three and a half points for Houston kind of feels like a lot. Yeah. For a Denver team that's won five straight. What do right. you think?
0: But I do think that they're, like, if they're, again, if their defense does show up, I think they're worth that three and a half points. It's just that that's not a guarantee. So I'm going to buy that they do and therefore cover it.
1: Bobby Slowick, one loss since having breakfast with him. I think he'll bounce back. Hmm? Here.
0: Take the Texans. We should tweet out that picture for, like, what is it, what they call it, clout, you know? Here's
1: Sam and Steve with uh, offensive coordinator PFF Bobby. With Bobby? Yeah. Now, this was uh, I had that one with me and uh, Chase Young from the <laughs> yeah. he was he you sat next look- to me at the uh, college football awards a couple years ago. You should
0: tweet that out more regularly so that just to reinforce the fact that Sam isn't short, Steve is a giant. Yeah,
1: me and the six six, two hundred sixty pound fan that I was right. that I was with being the, made
0: look like a small child.
1: Team. All right, the last last game in the remember that is in the one o'clock window. I'm taking Houston to cover the three and a half. Same last game in the four o'clock window is the Cleveland Browns at the Los Angeles Rams. The Rams are favored by three and a half here uh rams are just on the outside looking in as far as the playoff picture the number nine seed tied with both the i'm sorry the, yeah tied with the packers and the saints at five and six and the browns right now clinging to a playoff spot with the six seed at seven and four with joe flacco coming into quarterback is he gonna start
0: he's taking the first team reps uh dtr obviously got blasted out of the game last week concussed um, so yeah, Flacco's taking the first team reps, and that's what it looks
1: like. If you get um, early career Joe Flacco, yeah, two thousand eight to ten, maybe eleven seems unlikely, given that he's now like one hundred twenty-seven well, years old. Just from like a they didn't they didn't drop back a ton. They treated him. It was kind of like early career Ben Roethlisberger and Russell Wilson. It's like all right, you're gonna drop back twenty-five, thirty times a game. Just don't lose it for us. Hit a couple deep outs here and there. Can Flacco get back to that? There was points later in his career where it, they moved him. He was more of like a high-volume passer. and That did not go so well for Joe Flacco. So can he be the game-managery type that just lets the defense do what they've been doing this year in Cleveland? I think he might be able to do that better than what they have on the roster. So probably the right move here for the Browns, even in, you know in, in – even with the uh, with even if there weren't injuries maybe I mean late career late era
0: Joe Flacco though always struck me as this guy that he was one of these sort of players where they kind of like Jimmy Garoppolo where it's like you're, they're always termed these game managers but they don't actually play like it like all you do is reduce the frequency in which the turnover the play happens because he's attempting fewer passes but it's not actually the percentage isn't any different, right? Like, he's still going to throw the ball to the defense one out of every 10 passes. It's just that you're now only passing 20 times. One out of 10? Yeah, whatever it is. One out of 15, whatever. Pick your number. The point being, that that number's not changing. All you're doing is reducing the overall number of attempts he's making. So I kind of feel like scaling back Joe Flacco's role in this game doesn't fundamentally change what Joe Flacco is. It just potentially changes the frequency with which he's going to
1: cost you the game. And I'm, I'm asking for the low-volume Flacco yeah. because the, the last time we saw him, he was the starting quarterback for the Jets, week one against Baltimore, last, just last year, yeah. he dropped back 62 times. Mm-hmm. And then against the Browns, 47 times, and they made that crazy comeback. So he, he had a hand in making a, a comeback against the Browns. Um, and then he dropped back 56 times against Cincinnati in week three with a 27 grade. Yeah,
0: he was uh, averaging like 300 yards a game. Um, and yet they were like, there was six turn worthy plays in that final game against the Bengals. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, that's enough of that, Joe.
1: Sit down. Yeah, so you just, I don't think you, I don't think you want that. And he has not been a, last time he was really a full-time starter was 2019. But I mean, they're, they're asking him to just kind of hold the fort here. And trust that their defense has been so good, so good against the pass. Number one EPA per play uh, against, as far as defenses go. Uh, Miles Garrett's got the shoulder injury. We thought it was going to be much worse. He might actually play. Yeah. in this game. So yeah, that's what they're expecting from Flacco here. Yeah, I
0: kind of wonder with the Miles Garrett thing. I he strikes me as a little bit like Trey Hendrickson, where you know he played since he got that knee injury, but he hasn't been Trey Hendrickson since that knee injury. He's had a couple of sacks or a couple of splash plays here or there, but he's gone from being, he was putting up, Trey Hendrickson was putting up the kind of season that was right on the borderline of like all pro level. um, And he's not been that guy since he got hurt. Miles Garrett was putting together the kind of season that was defensive player of the year, you know, highest PFF pass rushing grade we've ever seen, still leads the NFL in terms of pass rush win rate, his third and pressure rate, he might play but are we actually getting miles garrett or are we just getting a guy that's you know playing with his arm in a sling essentially and trying to get that done that's a huge variable i think Like, just playing is is like a tick in the box exercise for me it's like are we actually getting miles garrett or are we just getting this guy that's trying to play and keep his sort of game alive
1: he's also good enough though to you know draw double teams and you know I think they're deep enough on the defensive line. They have the number three, the Browns number three pass rush grade in the NFL. They're deep enough that they can get help uh, that they couldn't get in previous years. Maybe just getting some extra attention is worth it.
0: I just don't know how long that would last if it becomes clear that he's not really Miles Garrett. I mean last week he played quite a lot with the injury
1: and had no impact essentially. Yeah. I mean, that was Max Crosby last week, Max yeah. Crosby's only play was a cleanup sack basically right uh, but he was still drawing double like the chief still gave him a sure. lot of attention just because he was on the field well,
0: my, yeah so my question would be for garrett like if he plays and it's pretty clear quite quickly that he's not real miles garrett he's just a guy wearing his number and looking the same how quickly does that attention dissipate or do they it's in the game plan so he's going to keep a double team all the way through the game and even if he does nothing if he ends up with zero pressures on you know 25 pass rushing snaps he still had the impact of drawing the extra help and the, the different alignments of the running backs and the tight ends and stuff. And, you know, his, imp, his benefit will be felt by the other players on that defensive line.
1: On the other side, the Rams are coming off of a dominant run game performance. Kyron Williams, uh, outstanding last week. He's had a, a really nice season. And the Rams run game has been sneaky good this year against a Browns defense where if you're going to have success, it's probably going to be on the ground. So can, they, can the Rams you know, play that, play that game? Uh, they're number four in EPA per play uh, from a run game perspective. The Rams this year, they have not – like they haven't been really a good – they weren't a good running team when they went to the Super Bowl a couple years ago. The Rams are kind of weird they trying that. to analyze their season and everything. I think they're, we, we highlight their pass protection quite a bit. This is one of those games where it could get wrecked, depending on Miles Garrett, but they've got the run game to probably combat that this year, this week.
0: They haven't had a great running game since Todd Gurley called you a clown.
1: That's not true. Isn't it? Because C.J. Anderson, Hmm. that very season, came off the couch and had an effective second half of the season— you know, last third of the season on the way to the Super
0: Bowl. Okay, so the, they, haven't, they haven't had a good running game since the season that Todd
1: Gurley called you a clown. I would, yeah. <laughs> and I would, I would actually flip that and I would say, since I said Todd Gurley is not an MVP candidate on NFL Network, yeah. and he subsequently took it to InstaFace or whatever he did and called me a clown. Uh-huh. They, yeah, they, so yeah, they haven't had a great run game since then. And Todd Gurley hasn't played good football since I said he wasn't an MVP candidate and he called me a clown either. That's true. If you want to look at it through that lens. Yeah. It's too bad those things don't live. That was kind of funny. Hmm. Um, I had Chris Chris email me that Todd Gurley had called me a clown. Email you? On social media. It was like Chris's assistant saw it, sent it to Chris. (laughs) He emailed it to me and said, ha ha ha, join the club, basically. Like, you're a clown like me. Yeah. That's what Chris said. Welcome to the clown face. Because yeah. Chris was a – remember, he was he was at the Eagles parade, Chris. Yeah. His face as a clown right. was at the Eagles parade because Chris hates every team, including the Eagles, who won the Super Bowl that year. Well, because he was on the broadcast, right? And the he Eagles, was on the broadcast, and he probably Eagles, said, like, this isn't a touchdown or something.
0: Yeah, yeah, the Eagles fans hated that broadcast. Yeah. They thought he was, like, dead set against him for the
1: entire broadcast. Yeah. I mean, literally every person that I meet that we – when we start talking about Chris, he's like, why do they – why do they, why does he hate my team?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, that's us as well. Yeah, why why they hate my team? Every fan base thinks we hate their team. We do, equally, though. Um, the, yeah, like this is the, the, the Browns defense is so good that this is the type of game where the Rams are going to struggle, right?
1: I think they might be able to run the ball. Really? Yeah. Hmm. I think they're going to run it. I don't That's know. going to be their I, game.
0: I kind of feel like the Browns defense is so good that this is going to be a bad
1: Rams game rather than a good one. They're good, but they, look, I, I think the 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 play, the pass rush is going to take a hit, whether Garrett – with or without Miles Garrett. <laughs> pass rush takes a little bit of a hit. Um, there are plays to be made in this Browns secondary, a few plays per game. Stafford will find those, and they'll run the ball pretty well. And then it's a matter of you know you got to trust Joe Flacco on the other side. And as people know, and look at you, you would never bet, would you? Just type in Cleveland. You're you're taking Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco, ride or die. Off the couch two weeks two weeks ago, he was just you and me on a Sunday afternoon watching YouTube TV. He's rested,
0: rested. He had a few games last last year to keep his eye in, right? And now he's had some rest and recuperation on the couch. And now Joe's ready to go up there and and blowtorch the Rams.
1: <laughs> you're a Flacco guy late in his career. Mm-hmm. I'll take the Rams three and a half though. That's a lot of points. Look, he's I've a seen a
0: lot Rams-y. of I've seen a lot of images on social media that say that Joe Flacco is elite. Therefore, he's going to beat the Rams. Elite quarterback plus uh,
1: plus elite best defense. defense in the NFL equals win. So you're a big uh, funniest thing possible type of guy. Uh huh. What is this, like, Flacco has a, has a good little run, like, goes into Kansas City <laughs> and wins a playoff game? Like, what do, you, what do you, like, goes into Baltimore and wins a playoff game? That would be pretty special. Is that the funniest thing possible? That would be pretty funny.
0: I mean, Flacco doing any kind of positive things for the Browns in the playoffs would be pretty funny.
1: So the Broncos shutting out the Dolphins in the playoffs on the road. Flacco, Flacco against the Ravens.
0: What if Flacco gets his second ring? on the back of coming off the couch and leading the browns with this like has a trent dilfer like run where he's just does nothing positive to this team whatsoever but somehow they keep stumbling into wins after wins and he gets a second ring and the now browns win a super bowl right well now his career is validated right he beca- he gets that eli peyton manning bump
1: of i got two now shut the <laughs> hell up nobody can say a damn word i'm in the hall of fame that's the best thing that could happen. You tell me we're like nine or 10 weeks away from a Joe Flacco Hall of Fame case being solidified? Yes. All right. The
0: second ring gets you in. You can't ever say anything.
1: Tyler's not here today. He's like, he's <laughs> listening somewhere cheering. Like, I love this. I told you. The problem is you could paint any picture you want. We just painted this whole picture with Joe Flacco's making a super bowl run. and it's particularly we funny. haven't seen him throw a pass this year.
0: yeah and the funniest way of doing it is is the trent dilfer way where like you are not only are you a passenger but like you're an active drag No, you have ticket. to have
1: one yard pass to shannon sharp per game you have to have one of those but like
0: but it's it's not you know it's not an eli run where like you're actually carrying this thing or you're seriously contributing in a positive direction to this like you have to be actively dragging this thing down and yet somehow they win anyway that's okay. the funniest way.
1: So I think I need to uh,
0: – Like Joe Flacco ends up beating the Ravens in the playoffs going like 8-4. He goes
1: into Baltimore, into Kansas City. Yeah, but like
0: 8-4-27, you know, for like yeah. 82 yards and an interception. They and win somehow they win nine. the game anyway because, yeah. you know, Miles Garrett had two fumble recoveries With in a Broken shoulder. Yeah, yeah.
1: Great. Um, I might have to take the Browns after this picture that you've painted mm-hmm. here. But I'll take the Rams to cover the three and a half. All right, Chiefs at the Packers. It's Sunday night football. Uh, Chiefs favored by six here. They're eight and three. uh, Right up there with the Ravens are nine and three. So the Chiefs and Ravens battling both the Jags and the Dolphins, all uh, eight and three, nine and three, battling for that number one seed. Packers coming off their great Thanksgiving win against the Lions. Sitting at five and six here. What are you looking for in this one? Uh,
0: The Packers, really. It's so... The Thanksgiving game, I think, represented uh, like the optimal best-case scenario of what this team is capable of. Like, I don't think it it represented a realistic, you know, pathway forward. It's just like if everything goes right, this is what this team could do. Um, And somehow it all happened against the Lions. Like, their pass rush was amazing. All of their offensive skill position players did well. Jordan Love, all of his weaknesses became strengths. Like, he didn't just... Generally speaking, this year, he has been an inaccurate quarterback, in particular when it comes to ball location. So even on passes where he's completed them, like the, the pass location itself has been bad. Like he's been two yards off where it's supposed to be. And that's like made life more difficult for receivers. It's stopped yards after the catch. It's, you know, created some incompletions where they weren't there. But like the the general ball location has been bad against the Lions, it was not just good, it was insane. Like 30-something percent of his passes were charted as, you know, accurate plus, like perfect ball location, not just really good, good, but dead on. I I don't know why, but does that happen again in any way, shape, or form? And does going up against Spags, you know, a really good defense, change that dynamic?
1: One of the toughest things to do with young quarterbacks is to, is to try to figure out when... Small sample size trends are going to become the norm, or if they ever will. So, if you were listening to us a couple weeks ago and we would say, Look, Sam Howell's trending in the right direction. He's a first, and when he's a first year starter, you assume a first year starter is going to start slow, hit a tipping point, and just start getting better. Did Sam Howell do that? No, he kind of got worse over the last couple weeks. Well, Jordan Love is kind of at that point. So, whichever way you want to split up the data, you know, since week nine, you know, the last few weeks here, Jordan Love is QB 6 mm. in the NFL. Since week 8, he's QB 10. Um, he's graded higher than Patrick Mahomes over the last few weeks. Like these small – you could split sample sizes any way you want and yeah. kind of tell stories any way you want. But a legitimate question with Jordan Love, it does look different the last few weeks. It's not just the results are different. It looks different, right? As you mentioned, the accuracy's better. He also had those plays in the Lions game where the feel and the – some of the natural playmaking that I think people wanted him to have coming out of Utah State, you started to see some of that Jordan Love, right? Um, so did we just see a career game against Detroit and a nice little stretch of play? Or is this what Jordan Love is? It's, it's going to be a challenge against a really good Chiefs defense here. Um, but, yeah, he's he's been playing great these last few weeks. Big-time throws, low turnover-worthy plays outstanding run here for Jordan Love. Let's see if he can keep it going.
0: Yeah, it's a really difficult evaluation for him because everything has to happen on a on a vastly truncated timetable just because of the nature of, you know, Rodgers was there for years. They've given him this weird contract where they're they're kind of going to need to decide quickly. So, whereas normally you would want to be patient and watch this play out over a couple of years, for Jordan Love it's like this whole thing needs to happen in the course of one season, right? And the start wasn't great. It was okay. Um, but it sort of looked like Jordan Love from college. And now it's like any two or three week improvement or change. You're like, this could be it. This could be the development path. And now he's on the right track. And now he's the guy. Quick, give him the $40 million a year contract because he, we've nailed it. Um, so, And yet we know like how ridiculous that is as a concept. Like two or three game swings happen all the time right. and go in both directions. And it might mean nothing. But it's you can't argue with all the things you said before, which is, the trend is in the right direction, and it has been a significant jump for him, and it's making a difference to all those other receivers. Like if Christian Watson's post-Thanksgiving thing is real as well, like he's just turned it on, and now we're going to get the last like the last year's run for Christian Watson. The whole Packers offense is different because now they have a number one wide receiver, Dobbs, um, the like Dontavian Wicks, like all those other guys that they've got in the offense are better because they don't need to be the number one guy anymore. Watson's taken that over. They can be complimentary piece. Everyone just got bumped down the depth chart one in practical terms, even if not in reality. And Jordan Love is completing a higher percentage and the accuracy is better and blah, blah, blah. Like the Packers offense is completely different than it was a month ago. Um, on the other hand, maybe none of that's real. And they just had an amazing game and had a couple of good games on the bounce. And now they're going to go back to being this like mistake-ridden, bumbling offense that consistently shoots itself in the foot.
1: Well, it's funny because the story of both receiving cores are kind of similar, right? The the Chiefs have all those drops. Um by the way, the drop totals that PFF has are going to be they're a lot different than other sources. I think it was maybe Kevin Harlan actually cited, "Hey, there's three different sources depending right. on who you who you listen to. Like we chart more things than drops. But yeah, the receiving core has
0: For the in a nutshell, why are they different?
1: Um there's, there's several different ways to have incompletions. So even if the ball hits a receiver's hands and should be caught, sometimes we'll credit the defense, sometimes it's a pass breakup, sometimes it's just he hit him so hard it knocked it out. So even if it should be caught or even gets a good grade, we don't call it a quote-unquote drop. Yeah, There's multiple ways that a pass can fall incomplete, the, not just drops.
0: The liberal use of the term drop particularly by announcers, drives me insane. It's yeah. like, oh, he dropped it. It's like, we have just shown a replay that shows he didn't drop it. It hit him in the hands. He had caught it. Yeah. And then a guy, like, either hit him or blasted the ball directly. That's not dropping it.
1: We uh, They also did a good job. At Patrick uh, Mahomes threw a low screen to Rasheed Rice the other day, and they were like, mm. eh, kind of hit his hands, but it's a bad throw. Right. And it's like, oh this could be a drop. They actually did a good job of talking through the same way we would, and we actually called it just an underthrow by Mahomes on that particular play. Um, but the chiefs offense, uh, they did a good job last week. It was a lot of underneath stuff. It's check downs and screens. And they kind of opened up the downfield passing attack a little bit more, but they've been still very yak heavy and reliance. They're relying, but Rasheed rice was the guy that stepped up last week because he's been great after the catch. He takes a shallow cross 30 plus yards for a touchdown. I think we're going to see him featured more and more, um, So, yeah, I'm curious to see if the Chiefs' offense has kind of turned a corner here and you've got a little bit more confidence in some of those guys.
0: Yeah, and just Rasheed Rice, another week. Like, he now has – last week in playing time terms, he became their number one wide receiver. He's been, in practical terms, their number one wide receiver for a while, if not all season. But they finally kind of gave him the playing time, the distribution in terms of who's on the field at any given moment to match that. Does that continue? Like, do we see them actually embrace – I know he's a rookie. I know he's a second-round rookie, but Rasheed Rice is our best wide receiver. Let's lean into that.
1: Um, the other highlight, the other matchups to watch here, Rashawn Gary, you know, again, if, if it said coming out of Thanksgiving, if the Packers play like they do, they did that day. They can play with anybody because they were good rushing the passer. They were forcing turnovers. They were outstanding on offense, as we mentioned. So it, Gary has been awesome rushing the passer this year. If he keeps that up against both tackles, uh, in the with the Chiefs I think he's I think they have an, an opportunity there but again with Mahomes there's pressure and then there's the ability to kind of create those negative plays Mahomes is so good at avoiding sacks not turning the ball over so we'll see if that has an impact and then the Packers run defense there's some games they look good some games they look terrible you know if, if this is one where they can at least slow down Isaiah Pacheco who they've been hit or miss on that side of the ball put more pressure on Mahomes make him feel the pressure of needing to you know just win the game through the air and kind of try to force some mistakes I think the Packers they have the ability to do that it's just I, I don't know how reliable their run defense can be week to week
0: yeah but, I mean their their defense has been trending in the right direction as well um, in addition to the offense so that's a sort of quiet element of that team moving in the right direction and going on this little run does that continue against Kansas City whose offense itself has not been you know what we expect the Chiefs offense to be or is this just too good a team and the Packers get exposed again.
1: It's one more important storyline here. Oh yeah? Uh, Green Bay Packers safety Anthony Johnson with Chris on the call here. Oh! Wow what if he just spends the entire game talking about Anthony Johnson? Anthony Johnson Jr. He's got a 54 grade this year but he's made some plays, missed a bunch of tackles. Big hit last game. Yeah had a big hit which I thought they were going to call. Was <laughs> that last week? Whatever. Thanks anyway. Thanksgiving, yeah. I thought they were going to call that penalty was that two weeks ago he had a hit that i thought they would call anyway chris loved anthony johnson mm-hmm. around draft time and i've been waiting for this day where chris gets to be on the call <laughs> assuming chris is working this week he took last week off i would assume he is right yeah. he needs the he's not gonna take off. two weeks right. off you know look, but long, it's green can... bay that's what al used to always be like i'm skipping out of green bay yeah
0: i mean look how long can the fish last
1: you think he's been eating fish all week
0: he had like 12 pounds of fish he's got to have been eating it for a while
1: you could stagger it you could freeze it staggered a little bit you
0: think he like staked up that thing and put a whole bunch of uh ziploc bags in the freezer
1: well he probably had somebody do it for him but yeah (laughs) but that the process probably happened uh anthony johnson you know could make some plays here for the packers anytime it's in Lambeau at night you gotta check the weather let's see where we are here last time i checked i think it was gonna be like 24 Ooh, getting chilly um it's supposed to snow during the day but not at night unfortunately so i don't know yeah 37 during the day 46 percent chance of precipitation 34 and light snow i've got 24 25 at night mm. mostly cloudy okay
0: i got 34
1: and light snow that's good i mean it'll be somewhere in between there <laughs> i want a snow game we need some more snow games love snow games it's about that time uh where are you going with this one packers uh Chiefs favored by six here
0: mm. going kansas city
1: yeah i'll take kansas city again but i'll tell you I'd, I'd love to see a good game where the packers played uh the yeah, same level I mean, they did on turkey day
0: yeah jordan love and that offense maintaining this run they're on even if he doesn't like 30 plus percent insane like perfect accuracy throws is an unrealistic target but if he just stays accurate more than inaccurate that transforms that team into a vastly different proposition
1: for uh, any opponent Someone wants us to recreate the Step Brothers movie poster for Christmas cards. I
0: don't immediately. We have could a do that. We should send of... Christmas
1: cards to anybody that's a top one percent listener. Oh God! Through Spotify, that'd be a good thing to do. Uh, I our, see. Yeah, for our listeners.
0: I don't have one of those.
1: Buy some sweaters. Yeah, sweater vest things. Expensive. Expensive. I mean, if you could buy $800 worth of fish, we could buy some sweaters. I think he paid for his own fish. I don't he think he put that on. Well, I want him to pay for my sweater, too. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Cincinnati Bengals at the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's Monday night football. Every time the Bengals play, I'm going to say, it would have been epic if Joe Burrow was here. Hmm. Um, but it's the Jags favored by eight and a half, Jake Browning against Trevor Lawrence. Yeah.
0: This is really going to be Monday night football, huh?
1: It's Monday night football, yeah. Okay. Um, Bengals' defense has been sneaky bad since they were it's been the event were,
0: most of the season like they yeah. got right for a couple of games during the time that Joe Burrow was back and then they went back to being bad again
1: but then it was but th- that's that's the danger of trends that I was trying to that I was hinting at with the Jordan Love thing it was like okay they're trending back in the right direction and all the players who had played well historically for this defense are are back but i think the um the inconsistency at safety is starting to catch up with them. All and their Henderson. second level I mean, defenders. We already talked about the Hendrickson yeah.
0: thing. Like him not being Trey Hendrickson since he got injured since he got the knee injury has changed that. Like he has he's had back to back grades of like basically sixty one as a pass rusher. He has three pressures in the last two games when he'd been averaging like seven for the previous couple of months. I
1: think it I think it shows I think it's similar to the Lions. When you've built a kind of a fragile pass rush, because they haven't gotten a ton out of Miles Murphy, the rookie, it's a bit of a fragile pass rush where it was Trey Hendrickson and friends. Yeah. Just like the Lions was Aiden Hutchinson and friends, and you didn't get enough production from everyone else. If you lose that one piece, it's a challenge, man.
0: Yeah, he still leads the team in total pressures by 23, despite only having three in the last two games. And now two of those have been sacks, so it looks maybe better than it has been, but. They've literally gone from, like, by far their primary source of pass rush dominating to that basically disappearing outside of two sacks, and nobody else has stepped up yet to pick up that slack.
1: Yeah, and on the other side, um, again, the Jags will have a game every few weeks where they kind of lay an egg, but overall they've been good. Defense has been solid. I think they're going to make life difficult for Jake Browning and company. Um, I think the every week trying to figure out – Josh Allen's having a really good season rushing the passer. Will they – they can be fragile at times as well where it's just josh allen but you know trayvon walker hasn't been good snap for snap he had a really good rush and down the stretch there where he you know popped a defensive lineman that led to one of the sacks by allen i think he maybe got in there as well want to want to see if the jags have enough pass rush here because they should be able to do some damage against this bengals line mm-hmm. what else are you looking for in this one here
0: yeah i mean i think that's the interesting side of the ball is um is actually the Jags' offense against Cincinnati's defense because, like, the Bengals' defense, I think, at least has the capacity to play at that kind of high-end level and limit that team. Jacksonville's offense has been good for most of the year but is you know, misfired at times or just not connected or they've been, you know, one element is letting down the other at at given moments. The other side, it's like it's just not the same when it's Jake Browning. Like, you know, you know that that's – that's what it is it's it's kind of like watching hobbled joe burrow it's just yeah
1: he is very much like hobbled joe burrow yeah uh cam robinson injured at left tackle for the jags Mm -hmm. so we'll see walker little kick back out to left tackle there um jags haven't had like the line hasn't played great this year run blocking is second worst in the nfl i like what i've seen from travis Etienne for the most part as far as his ability to create big plays but it's not it's not a well-rounded offense and i want to see more consistency from christian kirk calvin ridley he's had a nice couple weeks here trevor lawrence has had a beautiful few weeks throwing the ball down the field creating big plays remember last week flipped the field a ton with four or five big time throws so the potential's there i want to see more of a complete game from the jags i think that's what they're looking for they're eight and three they're in great they're in great shape but you know again they're they're trying to figure out can we compete with the ravens which we'll see in a few weeks can we compete with the Chiefs they need more consistency from the line and from their receiving core Mm -hmm. all right let's pick the game
0: I think the Jags will win comfortably but I think eight and a half is too
1: much now the last time the Jags played on Monday Night Football was 2011 I believe 2011 yes wow that's what I saw 2011 now the first time the Jags played on monday night football oh god september 1997 the two and oh jack second
0: year as an existence
1: third year of existence, third year of existence. They, were, they lost in the afc championship the previous year brunel got hurt in the preseason they had to play without him yeah. the first two weeks but week three brunel makes a dramatic comeback for monday night football against the pittsburgh steelers and it was a great back-and-forth game. Brunel played awesome. Played great in that game. Back-and-forth game. The Steelers line up for a game-winning field goal. But it gets blocked. They take it to the house by uh, maybe Chris Hudson of the Jags. And he ran right by Bill Cowher, right along the sideline. And Cowher, like, gave it one of those. He wanted, he was almost punched him on the way by, which seems to be a Steelers thing. Didn't Tomlin actually do that, too, actually hit somebody on the way by? Yeah. Yeah. Tower like wound up like he was gonna punch him, yeah. um, but he didn't, and it was like thirty to twenty three or whatever. First time that uh, the Jags hosted Monday Night Football. Great. If you're interested in more, I'll post. I'll post some videos from the from the first game. Yeah, I'm not. Not even slightly. It's gonna be bumping.
0: We got an email in from somebody that was uh, talking about like old games that we could watch on YouTube for a uh, you know watch along for people. Yeah, um, Jags they, game. Somebody called Pete. No, it wasn't the Jacks game. It was Houston against Pittsburgh, and they just started. Like people have been sending in some <laughs> hysterical box scores. Uh, the I, I sent this to you, but David Carr was three for ten for thirty-three yards with four sacks in there, uh, no touchdowns, no interceptions, but a long uh, and, and six rushing yards. Meanwhile, Tommy Maddox was thirty of fifty-seven for three hundred twenty-five yards. No touchdowns, two interceptions, and somehow the Houston Texans won this game 24-6.
1: 24-6?
0: Yeah, with a quarterback that threw for 33 yards.
1: Wow. That's impressive.
0: Incredible box score. Just absolutely wild.
1: That was I'll Aaron at...
0: Glenn, defensive coordinator for the Lions now, right? Yeah. Uh, had two interceptions, pick sixes, two for pick sixes, and two pass breakups.
1: They're the same thing. If you're that's looking true, at an NFL yeah. box card, they're the same place. That's true. Okay, don't, so don't two interse-
0: two pick sixes. Um, what was that? 0-2. Uh, 02, 03. 02. December the eighth. So that was so the expansion now. year for the Texans. Yeah, expansion Texans with a and they were four nine at this point, going up against a seven five and one Pittsburgh team.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. I hope we could find that game.
0: Led by XFL MVP Tommy Maddox.
1: Yeah, he's fresh off the XFL. Right. Right there. All right. That's it for us. Enjoy the football this weekend. You'll be back here tomorrow breaking down some Thursday Night Football, and I'll be back on Monday reviewing all the Week 13 action. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. See you again Monday.